You are listening to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. Palmolive Soap, your beauty hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. The daily problems of most teachers are not restricted to the ones they face at school. Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, is no exception to this rule. No, indeed. Many of my problems don't begin until I leave school, or before I start to school. This in spite of the fact that my home life consists of just A, my landlady, Mrs. Davis, and B, our cat, Minerva. Unfortunately, A is extremely absent-minded, and B is allergic to cat hair. <laughs> Last Friday morning, the three of us were having breakfast together. Careful, dear. Don't drink so fast or you'll get milk all over you. Thanks for reminding me, Mrs. Davis. May I have that napkin, please? Oh, here you are, Connie. You look pretty silly with your whiskers all white. <laughs> well, who wouldn't? Oh, oh, you're talking to Minerva. <laughs> yes. All finished, Minerva. <laughs> There's a good girl. Now go on into the kitchen and wait for me. While you're out there, do the dishes. <laughs> All right, I'll do the dishes. <laughs> oh, don't bother, Connie. You better get ready to go to school. Walter Denton should be picking you up any minute. Of course, uh, you could dust the living room for me if you've got a minute. Those andirons I bought yesterday are pretty dusty. Andirons? But, Mrs. Davis, we haven't got a fireplace. That's what I told the salesman, Connie. But he carried them all the way up to our door by then. From where? From his car. He said it was his first time in this neighborhood. A door-to-door andiron salesman. Well, that's a new wrinkle. Yes, he was, Connie. And rather gray, too. <laughs> that's why I just had to buy them. You'll find the set over by the piano. There's a brush and a sifter came with them. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's burn the piano. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mrs. Davis. What you buy is your own business, but I don't like to see people take advantage of you all the time. Oh, but, Connie, nobody takes advantage of me. Certainly they do. You're always doing favors for somebody, and most of the time they're practically strangers. Like that night you consented to sit for that couple down the street. You sat all right till five in the morning. But they couldn't find anybody else to stay with their children. A fine litter it was, too. Two sets of twins, eight months old and two years old. Oh, it wasn't so bad. They had a lovely phonograph, and I listened to music all evening long. It had a record changer and everything. You probably set a few changing records yourself that night. <laughs> Mrs. Davis, you've just got to learn how to say no to people. Oh. I guess I'm just an easy mark. Well, I'll get on with these dishes. Oh, that's probably Walter now. Coming! Yes? Miss Brooks, isn't it? I'm a neighbor of yours, Mrs. Evans. George and I live about a mile from here. Are you asking me or telling me? <laughs> uh, come in, neighbor. Oh, thank you. Come into the living room. Sit down, Mrs. Uh, Evans. Oh, you still don't know who I am, do you? Let's see. Belmont Laundry. Does that do anything to you? Well, they tear my slips once in a while. <laughs> oh, I knew that would do it. It is good to chat with you again, Miss Brooks. Again? When did you chat with me last, Mrs. Evans? Right after the holiday. The Easter holiday? No, dear. Last Thanksgiving? 
We were both at the Belmont Laundry to complain about the service. And on the way out, we had a conversation. I said, isn't this laundry getting terrible? And you agreed with me. Now, do you remember? Of course. I just forgot some of the details. (laughs) Well, I know you'll forgive me if I'm brief, Miss Brooks. I've been rather upset lately. It's George. It is? Yes, my husband, he isn't a bit well, and that's why we have to make this trip. The doctor seems to think that a week in the country will do him a world of good, so we're going upstate this afternoon. Molly has a farm up there, you know. It's a beautiful place. If there's one thing Molly knows, it's how to pick a farm. (laughs) Oh, but she didn't pick it. Uncle Fred left it to Molly. But George is so attached to peanuts. And, well, Miss Brooks, for just this one week, will you take care of peanuts for us? Well, it's all according. How many bags of them are there? (laughs) No, you don't understand. Peanuts is our dog, the cutest thing you ever saw. And he's no trouble at all. I've got him right outside in our station wagon. Come on out and take a look at him. Oh, but Mrs. Evans, the dog... We take him with us, but Molly's afraid of dogs. Come along, Miss Brooks. I took the liberty of parking in your driveway. Yes, I see. Who's that at the wheel, your husband? No, that's Peanuts. (laughs) Oh. Did he drive you down? I mean, uh, what kind of a dog is that, Mrs. Evans? He's a Dane, of course. I should have known. He's built just like Loritz Melchior. (laughs) Come here, Peanuts. Come on, boy. How can he get out? The windows are closed. He opens the door with his teeth. We taught him how when he was just a little puppy And he's never forgotten it He's got a wonderful memory He should have His father was an elephant Where are you going, Miss Brooks? I left a crossword puzzle up this tree (laughs) Don't be afraid He likes you You see, he wants to make friends He's talking to you Does he talk like that to all his friends? Come on, come on, Peanut There's a good boy Give Miss Brooks your paw, Peanut. No, thanks. I've got a couple. <laughs> Mrs. Evans, I don't think we well, could Well, let's go in the house now so I can give you a few last-minute instructions. Come on, Peanut. You might as well get used to your new home. You're going to be here for a week. Oh, but Mrs. Evans, I can't accept the responsibility for a dog this size. Besides, this isn't my house. I just rent a room here. Mrs. Davis owns the place, and she couldn't well, possibly I have a dog that... Well, I dishes, Connie, and... Oh, I didn't know you had company. Who are these folks, Connie. These folks, Mrs. Davis, are Mrs. Evans and her dog, Peanuts How do you do? So we meet again, Mrs. Davis Again? We all take from the same laundry You know, I was just telling Miss Brooks here how little trouble Peanuts is around the house He's really a lab dog, you know, but he doesn't require any special attention whatsoever He'll eat some of whatever you eat, get up when you get up, and go to sleep when you go to sleep I hope he's got his own toothbrush. (laughs) Look, Mrs. Evans, this cottage belongs to Mrs. Davis, and it's up to her. Oh, don't think about me, Connie. If you want this lovely dog, please take him. Good night, all. Oh, (laughs) thank you, Miss Brooks. And you won't be sorry. Peanuts is loads of fun. Well, I'd better be running along now. Oh, but where do we get in touch with you if Peanuts has... Well, you won't have to get in touch with us. We'll contact you as soon as we return from the farm. Goodbye, my dear. Now you've done it, Mrs. Davis. I've done it. Why, Connie, Mrs. Evans is your friend. My friend? I only met her once in my life. Well, it's done now, Connie. Might as well make the best of it. By the way, where is the dog? He's probably in the kitchen. The door is ajar. Well, that's funny. I left it closed. He opens it with his teeth. They taught him when he was a puppy. Come on. 
There was a whole leg of lamb on the stove, Connie. That's right, Mrs. Davis. Peanuts, you didn't eat that whole leg of lamb. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Mrs. Davis, we can't afford to feed this dog. Not if we want to eat two. That's Walter Denton, Connie. Shall I answer it? No, I'll let Walter in. Walter? Say, he hasn't got a dog of his own, has he? Not that I know of, Connie. A kid like that? I bet he'd love the idea of taking care of peanuts for a week. His folks have a big backyard, too. It'd be just the thing. Coming, Walter! Now, whatever you do, Mrs. Davis, keep the dog out of sight until I've prepared him. Well, Walter Denton. Come in, Walter. Come in. Oh, thanks, Miss Brooks. I'd have been here sooner, but I was dog-tired this morning. That's a coincidence. (laughs) Walter, who would you say is a fella's best friend next to his mother? Stretch Snodgrass. Well, he's mine anyway. Why, Miss Brooks? I mean in the animal kingdom, Walter. Who is man's best friend? Well, out west, they say a horse is. Right. And next to a horse? Uh, A dog, I guess. Right again, Walter. Now, what would you do if you could get an animal combining the best features of both? I don't get it, Miss Brooks You will, Walter For one week, I'm offering you absolutely free of charge The opportunity to look after, play with, and be a pal to a wonderful creature named Peanuts Peanuts? Oh, where is he? Right in the kitchen A friend of mine left him here, but, well, when I thought of how much bigger your backyard is I, I just couldn't help it I knew I'd have to make the sacrifice Call him, Walter, call Peanuts Well, if you say so, Miss Brooks Peanuts! Here, Peanuts! Walter, come down off that piano. You haven't heard a fly. I'm not worried about his reaction to flies, Miss Brooks. Are you sure he won't bite? Positive. Come on now, just pet him. (laughs) He likes you, Walter. (laughs) Now, give him your paw, boy. Go on. Give him your paw. Not you, Walter. (laughs) Say, he's all right. Oh, but I couldn't take him home even for a week, Miss Brooks. My folks have started a garden out in the back. A garden? Yeah, that's why I haven't got my own dog right now. Oh, I wish I knew what to do with him. Frankly, Walter, I just can't afford to feed him for a week. I've got an idea. How about leaving him at Snodgrass's pet shop? You know, stretch his old man. He's got all kinds of animals down there, and I'm sure he wouldn't mind. Perfect, Walter. Then when Mrs. Evans comes back, she can pay his food bill. Come on, Peanut. <laughs> oh, just one thing, Walter. I'd better drive today. You can sit in back with Peanut. In back? But there isn't room back here for both of us, Miss Brooks. Sure there is. He's a lap dog, Walter. You can sit in his lap. <laughs> shop, Miss Brooks. We can... Oh, golly, I forgot. What? It's closed. Stretch told me his pop was going away for the weekend. Oh, that's just dandy. Now we'll have to take peanuts to school. To school? But, Miss Brooks, Mr. Conklin doesn't allow dogs at school. If he saw peanuts, he'd blow his top. Our beloved principal will just have to make an exception, Walter. Besides, this dog is completely outside of Mr. Conklin's jurisdiction. Well, what do you mean, Miss Brooks? He happens to be a Danish citizen. <laughs> Miss Brooks, 
starring Eve Arden, will continue in just a moment. But first, here is Vern Smith. Here's wonderful news, ladies. Wonderful, wonderful news. Now there's something thrillingly new in Palmolive Soap's famous beauty lather. Yes, something thrillingly new. Palmolive's famous beauty lather now brings you new fragrance, new charm, new allure. Millions of women will prefer beauty lather Palmolive over all other leading toilet soaps the minute they try it. For Palmolive Soap's famous beauty lather now has a new, clean, flower-fresh fragrance for new allure, new charm. So ladies, forget all other beauty care and use Palmolive Soap the way doctors advised for a lovelier complexion. Just stop improper cleansing and instead wash your face with Palmolive Soap three times a day, massaging Palmolive's wonderful beauty lather onto your skin for 60 seconds each time to get its full beautifying effect. Then rinse. That's all. All types of skin, young, older, oily, respond to it quickly. Don't wait another day to try Palmolive's Beauty Lather. You'll be thrilled by its new fragrance, new charm, new allure. Thrilled again by the fresher, brighter complexion doctors prove may soon be yours. For new loveliness all over, use big, bath-sized Palmolive in tub or shower. In spite of my enforced bravado, I was pretty squeamish about getting peanuts into school without Mr. Conklin finding out about it. Fortunately, we were early, and while Walter parked his car, I was able to hustle the dog into the supply room with a minimum of incident. Of course, a few students we did encounter in the halls will spend the remainder of their adolescence with hanging jaws and bulging eyes, but <laughs> that was unavoidable. Stretch Snodgrass, Madison's star athlete, known to the faculty as the body beautiful and the head empty, <laughs> was in charge of the supply room when Peanuts and I arrived. Oh, hi, Miss Brooks. <coughs> quiet, quiet. This is Peanuts, Stretch. Oh, I didn't notice him. Nice pooch. Pooch? <laughs> but you're not seeing him at his best, Stretch. He usually carries a barrel around his neck with a St. Bernard in it. <laughs> Stretch, we've got to keep him out of sight. Mr. Conklin mustn't find out that he's in school. Oh, he won't. Mr. Conklin's at the doctor's office. Harriet told me when she gave me the key to the supply room. Her father's getting tested for aller... Aller... Allergies? Uh, yeah. He won't be in for an hour yet. Harriet said she talked to him on the phone, and he's half shot. Translation. <laughs> he's only through with half the shots the doctor's giving him. Yeah. But don't worry about peanuts, Miss Brooks. I'll keep him right here in the supply room. Oh, look, Miss Brooks, he's scratching his own back. Isn't it cute? He smiles while he does it. <laughs> Don't you? I wonder what he's got back there. Well, it's probably just a mild case of hives. Well, it's certainly clever the way he takes the hives with one paw and beats them to death with the other. <laughs> You'll make a great watchdog if I have to leave this place for anything. Can you imagine what a gag it'd be if somebody just wandered in to snitch a pencil or something? Yeah, a great gag. They'd probably get hysterical permanently. I've sent for you, Miss Brooks, because I feel that you, of all the personnel at Madison, can keep a cool and level head in time of crisis. Well, thank you, Mr. Conklin, but I'm what trying is... to be calm myself, Miss Brooks. I shall make every effort to acquaint you with the facts in as brief and concise a manner as is possible. Yes, sir. First of all, I returned from the doctor's office about an hour ago, some allergy shots. 
I was jotting down some possible prizes for the community chest raffle and found myself in need of another notebook. Yes, Mr. Conklin? Pending your opinion, Miss Brooks, I have so far failed to notify the police or fire departments. It is my belief that if we can successfully avoid any and all panic, we can ourselves remove the student body and faculty to a place of safety from this danger. What danger? Miss Brooks, there's a leopard in the supply room. <laughs> oh, is that all? I mean, that's impossible, Mr. Conklin. Impossible? But I tell you, I saw it. Mr. Conklin, you said yourself you've just had some shots. Uh, isn't it possible that what you saw could have been an illusion? Miss Brooks, I slammed the door on the creature as soon as I saw it, but not until I'd gotten a good look. When I think of those slavering jaws, what they could rend. What they've already rendered. Uh, rent. <laughs> that is, I'm sure the shots you had come something... come with me, Miss Brooks. I'll prove to you the shots had nothing to do with it. But for the life of me, I don't comprehend. Miss Brooks, what do you suppose that leopard is doing in the supply room? Maybe he ran out of something. <laughs> Careful, Miss Brooks. That puny door could never hold him if he becomes enraged. Let's tiptoe up to it and listen to the beast. When I'm calling you... <laughs> the beast hasn't got a bad voice. Oh, Stretch, it's us. Mr. Conklin and I. Open up. Okay, why? Where is it? Where's what, Mr. Conklin? The beast. It was a big... It had... Oh. How long have you been in this room, Snodgrass? <laughs> oh, right along, Mr. Conklin. All morning. You see, Mr. Conklin, it was those shots after all. Now, why don't you go back to your office and lie down for a while? I, I can't understand it. I saw him as clearly as I see you. Clearer. Maybe I'd better get back to my office at that. A lot to do today. I've still got to find a suitable prize for that raffle. Maybe I'll call my doctor. Yes, that's what I'll do. I'll call the doctor. That's what I'm going to do it. The doctor. <laughs> stretch. <laughs> stretch. Quick, stretch. Get him out from under and let's go. Get who out from under what, Miss Brooks? Peanuts. You hid him, didn't you, when I told you that Mr. Conklin was with me? Oh, no, Miss Brooks. Peanuts blew. He blew? Yeah. I didn't want to admit it in front of old man Conklin. Oh, uh, Mr. Conklin. But I left the supply room for about ten minutes, and when I got back, the dog had taken a powder. He could use some powder. <laughs> oh, but this is terrible, Stretch. We've got to find him before Mr. Conklin sees him again. You'd better go directly to the cafeteria and look for him. Cafeteria? But it isn't lunch period yet, Miss Brooks. For him, it's lunch period all day. <laughs> some of our younger students are still pretty tender, you know. I'll look in Mr. Boynton's biology laboratory. Maybe something in the lab attracted peanuts. I know there's something that attracts me in there. <laughs> now, suppose you get going, Stretch. Okay, Miss Brooks. I'll report back to you if I find them. Yes, do that, Stretch. I'll just close up oh, this supply... Oh, excuse me, Miss Brooks, but I just ran into Daddy in the hall. He's very overwrought. Well, that's better than being underwrought. <laughs> Your father's just a little nervous, Harriet. He's been to the doctor, you know. Yes, I know. That's why he asked me to tell you that you've got to pick out a prize for the community chest raffle tickets we sold last week. Me? Yes. The drawings this afternoon. Get her on, Harriet. Right now, I've got to see a real man about a real dog. Excuse me, Mr. Boynton. I hope I'm not interrupting anything. Oh, not at all, Miss Brooks. I, I was just going to have a little snack. I brought some milk and pastry from home. It's Danish. Danish? 
Well, don't bite it till you see if it's wearing a license. <laughs> what? I'll skip it, Mr. Barnum. Do you mind if I look around the lab? No, Miss Brooks, but uh, what are you looking for? I'd rather skip that, too, Mr. Boynton. If I tell you, you'll only give me an incredulous look and say, why did you do a crazy thing like that? No, I won't, honestly. Well, I lost a dog. It's a Great Dane, Mr. Boynton. I brought him to school this morning. You brought a Great Dane to school? Why did you do a crazy thing like that? (laughs) I knew it. But it's too late for explanations now, Mr. Boynton. I've got to find him. Of course, and I'll do everything I can to help you, but let's approach this problem in a scientific manner. Take the habits and customs of the creature and and go from there. Fine, but do you know the habits of a Great Dane? Miss Brooks, I'm a biologist, if I say so myself. I know the habits of animals from A to Z. Or perhaps I should say from aardvark to zebra. (laughs) That's a little joke we scientists like to tell. Well, tell it later on, will you? (laughs) Right now, we've got to find Peanuts. That's his name. Oh, well, the Great Dane, also called Boarhound, has a keen sense of smell. He is an excellent dog for hunting. I know. I've been hunting this one all morning. (laughs) Tell me, Miss Brooks, where was he when you last saw him? In the supply room. Mm -hmm. Now, now, let's consider for a moment the Dane's remarkable sense of hearing. It's five times greater than a man's, you know. Do you think he might have heard anything that made him run away? Just the one about the aardvark and the zebra. (laughs) Please, Mr. Brooks, I'm trying to help you. The Dane was originally developed to hunt boars, hence the name Boarhound, and he was a cross between... Oh, pardon me, Mr. Boynton, but you've just given me a very important lead. You say the Dane likes to hunt boars. That's correct. Then all I have to do is put myself in his place. Now, if I was hunting for a boar, where would I go? I'm sure I don't know. I do. I'd go to the office of the biggest boar at Madison. Mr. Conklin, here I come. (laughs) Come in. Uh, Hello, Mr. Conklin. Could I talk to you for a moment? I suppose so, Miss Brooks. Sit down. This has been a trying day for me, a very trying day. Yes, I know, Mr. Conklin. They haven't been able to isolate my particular allergy, and the doctor says it may take some time. Excuse me. Hello, Mr. Allergy speaking. (laughs) Conklin. Hello, Mr. Conklin. This is Mrs. Davis. I wouldn't disturb you at school like this, but it's terribly important. I've got to speak to Miss Brooks. Oh, she's right here, Mrs. Davis. It's for you. Thank you. Hello, Mrs. Davis. Hello, Connie. I've just some distressing news for you. Mrs. Davis called and said her husband's doctor discovered that he's allergic to dog hair. Mrs. Evans? What? Naturally, they can't keep peanuts any longer. So Mrs. Evans told me to tell you that he's yours. Mine? Oh, but I can't... Where is Mrs. Evans? I'll call her back. I'm afraid that's impossible, Connie. They've just left town for the summer. Left town? But... Well, I'll talk to you about it later on, Mrs. Davis. Thanks, if you'll forgive a lie, for calling. Everything all right, Miss Brooks? Huh? Oh, yes. Everything is dandy, Mr. Conklin. Good, good. Now, about this prize for the community chest raffle, I've been racking my brain. Have you been able to think of anything? I just... What did you say, Miss Brooks? (laughs) Me? I didn't say anything, Mr. Conklin. What did you say? I said... I thought that's what you said. <laughs> Mr. Conklin, I think I've got the answer to both your problems. What? What? 
Well, first your allergy. Mr. Conklin, do you hang your coat in the closet over there? Oh, uh, yes, I do. And did you wear a tan top coat to school today? That's right. How tall is it? Tall? Has it got soft brown buttons? Uh, yes, I think they're brown. With long eyelashes? <laughs> Miss Brooks, what are you trying to... Grip the arms of your chair tightly, Mr. Conklin. Uh, peanuts! Here, peanuts! <laughs> Take it away! Take it away! This is Mr. Conklin. Meet Mr. Conklin, Peanuts. Mr. Conklin, shake hands with the first prize in the community chest raffle. As our Miss Brooks returns in just a moment, but first... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. Tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a luster cream shampoo. Only luster cream brings you K. Dumas' magic formula blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Gives loveliness lather even in hardest water. Glamorizes your hair as you wash it. Luster Cream, not a soap, not a liquid, but a dainty cream shampoo. Leaves hair fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen. Soft, manageable, gives new beauty to all hairdos or permanents. Four-ounce jar, one dollar. Smaller sizes, either tubes or jars. Tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo. And be a dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to a luster cream shampoo. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, the drawing for the grand prize occurred in assembly that afternoon. Uh, attention, everyone. Quiet. Quiet, please. Quiet. I'm happy to say that every member of the student body and faculty has contributed something to our community chest drive. And as we promised, there will be a prize for the holder of the winning number, which is... 644. Miss Brooks, let's see your stub. My stub? Oh, don't be silly, Walter. I never won a raffle in my life. Well, you've just... won this one. Oh, 644. Oh, no, There's Walter. the winner right here, Mr. Oh, Conklin. Can't... It's oh. Miss Brooks. Well, congratulations, Miss Brooks. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say? Just one thing, Mr. Conklin. <laughs> Another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Palm Olive Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler. Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, Leonard Smith, Mary Jane Croft, and Pinto Colveg. <laughs> Men, do you shave with a lather or brushless shave cream? Palm Olive shaving cream comes both ways. 
And whichever way you prefer to shave, you'll find that using either Palmolive Brushless or Palmolive Lather Shaving Cream can bring you more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Here's the proof. 2,548 men tried the new Palmolive way to shave described on the tube. And no matter how they had shaved before, three out of every four got more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Get Palmolive Brushless or Palmolive Lather Shaving Cream today. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at this same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. One good reason to be proud we're Americans is that we're always free to tell our government how we feel about its actions. But let's not forget that freedom is everybody's job. All of us must work to keep our individual rights and freedoms by voting in an informed way so that the best men and women are placed in office. We must serve willingly on juries and public committees and take an interest in the development of our community, state, and country. For by being better citizens, we can show the world that America is a strong, successful democracy. Stay tuned now for People's Choice, which follows over most of these same stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Read Conflict with Shadows. A fast-paced story of invading darkness the first in a series of light versus darkness, and the connection with the past to help fight for the future. When the Bathshe invade, John Vega and Nicolay Dan must come together to stop them from destroying their worlds. It will lead them far beyond known space only to find out that this is more than a battle for territory, but a battle for the souls of mankind. But there is always hope. Pick up a copy of Conflict with Shadows at your favorite online bookstore. P-O-S-T! P-O-S-T, Post, the serials you like the most, brings you the Roy Rogers Show, starring the king of the cowboys himself, Roy Rogers. It's roundup time on the double bar, so saddle your heart, cause it's on a red bar. The double R bar ranch, transcribed stories and songs of the real West, with the Whippoorwills, the wisest trail scout of them all, Jonah Wilde, played by Forrest Lewis. The Queen of the West, Day Evans, and in person, the King of the Cowboys, Roy Rogers. Well, howdy, folks. This is Roy Rogers. Buckaroos, we've got two exciting things to tell you about today. First, there's post-serial. I'm proud to stake my reputation on them because I know we can count on anything bearing the brand name Post. So as a favor to me, get your mom to put Post cereals on the shelf and try them, will you? The second exciting thing is that our old prospecting friend, Murray Bolin, is feeling a lot better. Dale rode up to the mining camp to see him uh, just a couple of hours ago. Murray, I'll give you the good news right away. The doctor said you're so much better you can be moved. Moved? Yes, sir, down to Mineral City. 
You can stay at the Eureka until you're completely well, and you'll be right near the doctor's office. He can give you all the attention you need. Yes. The only thing, Dale, I, I got quite a lot of money hit here. Gold. My life savings. Well, can't your two partners look after it for a few weeks? Yeah, I suppose, but... Well, I, I'm not saying anything against Johnny and Tom, mind you. But we ain't been partners long, and... Oh, well, I... let's not worry about that. Roy Rogers will be up here to help you get moved. You just tell him about your gold, and he'll know what to do. Oh, I mustn't forget to go over to the claim and give them a report on your health. The doctor said he always did, and that I should, too. Hard at work, eh, Tom? Told Murray much worse. Tell us the truth, what the doc really said. Tom, he's well enough to be moved. Roy Rogers will be up this afternoon and take him on into town. Well, that's fine, Dale. Glad to hear he's really better. John and I thought he was worse. We were afraid Murray might die. I saw you talking to Dale Evans, Tom. Did she say... Murray's getting well. He... He's well? Doc's having to move to town this afternoon. He's not going to die, then. Yes, he is. Murray's going to die this morning. But we still got a chance to see that he does. I was hoping we wouldn't have to do this, Tom. It's nothing I want to do. We're safe. We got everything worked out. Come back, Tom, Johnny. Dale Evans is here. She told me... We heard what Dale said. Close the door, John. All right, sure. Yeah, I'm moving to town. You're going to stay at the hotel. Now, hand me that pillow off my bunk. Uh, Yeah, Tom. Uh, Doctor told Dale in another three weeks I'll be... uh, What you doing, Tom? Come on, John, come on. Uh, Tom, I wish we didn't have to... Oh, here, take it. Yeah, I, I don't want a pillow, boys. You know that. The pillow keeps me, but... Johnny. Tom. Wait, wait a minute. John, hold him while I work this. No. No. You're not going to be smelling me. No. No. Hold him down there. Hold him. No. Hold him, Johnny. You want my gold? Keep him down. Keep him down. I'll put a curse on the gold. I'll put a curse on it. And whoever touches my gold after I'm dead... Dying terror. He's that's it. Hold his shoulders. I'll take care of that pillow. Well, job's done. He put a curse on the gold. He said whoever Let's touches Let's go back it... to the claim. When Roy Rogers gets here, we want him to find us working. We can say we don't know about Bill dying. Better not touch that gold yet either, in case suspicion should fall our way. <laughs> Late in the afternoon, Roy Rogers arrives at the miner's cabin. Dale and Jonah are with him. The air is strangely quiet. A heavy stillness hangs over the miner's dilapidated shack. They get off their horses, walk toward the cabin. No breeze blows, no birds sing. It's as though these three men are the only living things in this wilderness. Roy knocks at the cabin door. Nobody answers. I guess we'd better just walk in. Old Murray's probably sleeping. Yeah, well, nobody ever give me this much attention when I was sick. When 
were you sick, Jonah? Why, all during my army career, whenever they wanted to send me into the front lines. Yeah. Old Murray's sleeping. What? Hmm? Oh, Roy. I'm afraid it's a mighty deep sleep, too. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Roy. What do you think we'd better do? It's so late. We'd better wait until his two partners get home and then see what we can do to help them. The two killers have waited at their claim all afternoon. Each passing hour adds to the strain. Now the sun is sinking below the horizon. Dark shadows spread over the wasteland. And yet no one, as far as the killers know, has learned that Murray is dead. Roger should have been here long before this. If me had gone to the cabin, found out Murray was dead and left without looking for us. Ah, you wouldn't have done that. Be bound to tell us. It's dark now, Tom. I wish he'd get here. We can't take the old man's gold until everybody agrees he died natural. They figure he was killed, we can show him the gold. They know there was no reason for us to do it as long as we didn't rob him. What if Rogers doesn't come until tomorrow? And Murray's in the cabin all night. Uh, well, come on, let's go. Not to the cabin. Yeah, we won't light any lights. Just climb into our bunks and stay there. If Rogers rides up late, we can claim Murray must have died while we was asleep. The two killers walk toward their cabin, watching every shadow, every stone, lest someone ride up unexpectedly and they be taken off guard. Roy, Dale, and Jonah have remained in the cabin, waiting growing uneasy. Tom Hill and John Kennedy are certainly working late. Yeah, maybe we should have gone out and told them. But I don't like the looks of things here. I want to see them when they walk in. You know, it's funny they'd leave a sick man alone all this time without even looking in on him. Yeah, well, now, I don't know about that. What do you mean, Jonah? Why, I remember the time that Corporal John Dumphy went off and left me when I was sick. Yeah, that was during my army years, of course. You see, that was during my army years. And... <laughs> uh, I told you folks I fit in nine, ten wars, didn't I? Oh, I thought it was six or seven. Well, well, it was, it was. But that's not counting the war against the Eskimos. Now, there was a real Cold War. See, there was a real Cold War. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the Beanpot War. The Beanpot War? What was that? Oh, well, now, not many people have heard of it. Happened on the Saginapolis Islands. It is, a, well, sort of a private war. As a matter of fact, Washington didn't even know about it. So one day, an office holder went looking in the barrel for a enough tax money to get himself a gold-lettered shaving mug and found most of it was gone. Oh, brother. Yeah, yeah. The Bean Pod War was a... Well, it was sort of a grudge fight carried on by General Thomas Kenneth Rowe against the Saginapolis Islanders at the time they flooded this country with pennies that was heads on both sides. <laughs> oh, they're not. Oh, John. the general was a great penny matcher, you see. And he lost 300 muskets, 175 sabers, and a collapsible canvas water pail to a feller before he caught on that that feller was a playing with a two-headed penny. The feller was from the Saginapolis Islands. So the general said all them people was unfitting to live. Why not? And he said... You know why? It's Tom Hill and John Kennedy, Roy. Murray's partners. Murray put a curse on the stone, that's why. Hey, had we better have some light? No, listen. Nobody can put a curse on anything. Forget it. Hey, Roy, they already know about Murray dying. We got enough worries with Lapper and his crowd demanding money from us. We can't afford to be superstitious. Hey, something's wrong here. Duck under this table and keep out of sight. We may have run into trouble we didn't expect. Turn yeah. here, knock them dishes off the table. Quiet. Yeah, we'll ought to put things away, not leave them laying out on the table. That was my fault. I washed their dishes when I was here this morning, and I wasn't sure where they belonged. Murray's gold is still in his mattress. Somebody steals it, we can pay our debt to laughing. 
He finishes offshore. Yeah, I know that. Now, let's have a look. If the tear in the mattress is still sold, Tom, let it alone. We'll know the money's still there. Oh, what's up? Look out! Tom, I knew somebody was in here. Hold it. Don't move. Don't say a word. If they're here, they'll get us. Shut up! What was it, Tom? What happened? Well, one of us must have knocked something off the table without realizing it. Let's go out and get a breath of air. We need it after this strain. Come on. We'll be all right in a minute. Roy watches as the two men go out of the cabin. He, Dale, and Jonah all know the men are aware of Murray's death. No one mentions the trouble Jonah nearly caused when he knocked the dishes from the table. Roy sees the two partners stop some distance from the cabin. He sees but cannot hear them talking outside. In a few moments, they seem to have reached a decision. The shadowy figures again walk toward the cabin. Dale, Jonah, they're coming back. We'll wait right where we are. Next few minutes ought to tell us a lot about Murray Bolin and the way he died. How about him? How about him? How about those great nuts? How about those great nuts? How about him? How about him? How about those great nuts? They are so good, good for you too. They do minute energy work for you. So how about him? How about him? How about Grape Nuts Flakes? Yep, how about those Grape Nuts Flakes? Take an old hand's advice, partners. Tomorrow when you roll out of your bunk, corral a bowl full of that great energy-giving cereal, Grape Nuts Flakes. Grape Nuts Flakes are called the great two-minute energy cereal because two minutes after you polish off a bowl full, their powerhouse whole wheat energy starts to go to work for you. That's the kind of quick energy you fellers and gals need. You go for Grape Nuts Flakes sugar-roasted flavor. It's delicious. So ask Mom to get you Grape Nuts Flakes. The two-minute energy cereal. Look for Roy's picture on the front of the package. How about, how about, how about Grape Nuts Flakes? Grape Nuts Flakes is one of the famous triple wrap post cereals. The first and only cereals ever guaranteed fresh. Roy, Dale, and Jonah, waiting in Murray Boland's cabin, grip their guns tightly. Murray's two partners, Tom Hill and John Kennedy, are coming back. They walk toward the door, warily, slowly, for the night is dark, and they have at least a suspicion that someone might be inside. They step through the doorway. It's even darker inside. Uh, just a second, Johnny. Wait here. Yeah. You hear anything? I thought I did, but... No, I guess not. Well, it seems all right. Give a try at that gold. I could reach out and grab the barbie, Troy. Not yet. Be careful. He'll hear us. Murray ripped the mattress on this side when he hid the gold, didn't he? Yeah, but if it's still sewed up, you're not going to open it, are you, Tom? Sure I am. But that'll look bad. If anybody's found out about Murray dying and sees the gold line... We're like doing more than opening that mattress, John. We're taking that money. Oh, wait now. Murray put a curse on his gold. As he died, I'm he said... more afraid of Dick Lappin than I am of a dead man's curses. But what if the curse works? Murray said that... John, anybody... listen to me. Didn't want to say anything. I know you're uneasy. But somebody's been here. No. Yes, they have. We better take it, Roy. Quiet. There's two or three people on horses. Uh, that uh, means somebody knows where he's dead. I figure the best thing we can do is take this gold and run for it. If we run, the law will suspect us. I'll take my chance with the law before I risk going against Lappin. But if the law gets us, we'll be tried for murder. And in this state, Tom, the curse is working. Murray's curse is working. Shut up and get a hold of yourself. We're in this. we got to get out of it. Okay, here's where he's gold. Let's start moving. Fast but easy. Roy, Roy, we ain't just going to let him walk away. They robbed a dead man. If we wait, we may be able to get him for more than robbery. 
Oh, come on, Roy. A bird in the hand gathers no moss. Let's go. Hold it now. Let's use our heads. Johnny and Tom are mixed up with Dick Lappin some way. Jonah, you and I will head over to Lappin's place. Be waiting for him in case they show up there. I'll go with you, boy. No, I want you to ride back to the ranch. Get Bullet and bring him back here. Put him on the trail of these two rattlers. But why? So if they don't go to Lappin's, we'll know where they did go. Oh, sure. But mind you, Dale, don't get close to them. Just find out where they go and hold everything until you hear from Jonah and me. Okay. Jonah, we'd better cut across country and forget the road. That'll get us there ahead of Johnny and Tom. Easy here, fella. Ho, ho, Titus, boy. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah. Yeah. Lappin's place is as dark as the inside of your pistol pocket, boy. Yeah, they black it out at night. So strangers don't accidentally wander in expecting to buy something. Mm. Yeah, if I'd known we'd come into a place like this, I'd have brought my saber instead of just guns. We'll leave the horses here. Follow me. Roy and Jonah walk toward a large, rambling, store-like building. To all outward appearance, the store is empty. Yet Roy knows it's filled with gamblers, owl hoots, gunmen, men outside the law. For those are the men to whom Dick Lappin caters. He and Jonah halt before the door. Roy knocks. Using the code, he's heard it recognized by Lappin's gang. I've never been inside, Jonah, so have a quick look around when the door's open. Yeah, make a survey of the circumference, you mean. The door is open. Hulking, battered brute of a man confronts Roy and Jonah. Yeah, what do you want? I'm looking for Dick Lappin. Roy glances behind the guard down a long passageway. A streak of light is coming from beneath the door at the far end. Well, what business you got with Mr. Hey, you're Roy Rogers. Now watch it, Roy. Watch it. He's going to give us away. No, he's not. Have you got him, Roy? But I could have done it better with a saber. He'll stay asleep for a while. The main room must be on down at the end of the hall. Roy and Jonah walk along the hall, apprehensive, careful. They come to the door at the far end. Roy flings it open. For a split second, he and Jonah stand, facing the lighted room. Hard-faced gunmen, outlaws who gather here to gamble, to make plans, to hide out from the law, look up at them. Roy and Jonah step into the room. Hey, Lappin, I'd like to see you. A powerfully built giant turns to face Roy and Jonah. The gunman becomes silent. They watch suspiciously as Lappin shuffles toward the newcomers. Hey, Roy. Now I'm beginning to wish I'd have brought both sabers. Hurry. Go ask Ken how two outsiders got past him at the front door. Your guard won't be able to answer questions for quite a while, Lappin. What do you want, Rogers? I'm checking on a couple of rattlers. Tom Hill and Johnny Kennedy. They're headed this way. Never heard of them. What makes you think they're coming here? They owe you some money. When they pay, they may let slip that they kill their partner. If they do, I want to be here. Rogers, I don't use this as a place to trap my friends. If you've got anything... Got you, Ken! Take a fire! A gun crashes on Roy's head. Ken, the doorkeeper, recovering fast, sneaked up behind Roy and Jonah. Roy is staggered by the blow, but only for a moment. He starts back. Lappin is moving in. Roy swings at him. Jonah draws his gun. The outlaws come untrunk. One grabs his gun, knocking his hand upward. Shot goes into the ceiling. The others start after Jonah. Lappin and Roy are panicked, battling like two shots. 
An outlaw sends Shona sprawling. Now the others are free to go to Rappin's aid. They converge on Roy from all sides. He tries to move, but his back will be the wall. Too late. A dozen men close in, swinging, kicking. Roy goes down. That's all. We got him. Thanks, boys. We'll put him in our special office. Under the floor, until after we've spurred a Tom Hill and John Kennedy out of the territory. Yeah, I, I come back all right, didn't I, Mr. Lappin? It was me that started all this, you know. Uh, don't go away, Ken. Yeah, I done good, though, didn't I? They hurt me, but I come too real fast and started all this. Hang them up, boys. Get them to the office and back. Two of Lappin's men raised Jonah from the floor. Two others lift Roy. Is Roy still unconscious, or is he pretending, waiting for a chance to fight again? The outlaws move toward the back room, a small office only dimly lighted and sparsely furnished. In one corner, an iron plate covers the floor. No, it's not an iron plate. It's a metal door leading to a cell of some kind built beneath the floor. Lappin takes a key from his pocket, then bends down, inserts it, and turns the lock. He raises the heavy metal door. He holds it open. Yeah, give them to me. I want to do this myself. I've always had a yen to take care of, Rogers. Well, God, I'd like to throw one of them down, Mr. Yeah. Lampin. What's that? Oh, just a dog barking. The dog's inside. I must have left the front door open. All right, look out. My dog, my dog. Take a bullet. Roy sings up to his feet, calling the bullet. Bullet charges forward, seeing his master and Tony in trouble. His teeth gleam. Low snarls come from his throat. Get him, bullet. Get him, boy. Roy. Roy, are you all right? Keep back, Dale. Come on, Jonah. This is our chance to clean up. Bullet leaps at the outlaws, ready to give his life to protect Roy. The outlaws fall back. Again and again, Bullet leaps at them. Roy and Jonah go after them, too. The outlaws have had enough. Even a lappin. Jonah, Roy! Go off before he kills Bullet! Bullet! That's enough, fella. Hold it, Bullet. Now, boss, Roy... I don't care how much steak is a pound. I'm going to buy that fellow all he can eat tomorrow morning. Bullet came directly here, Roy. He came inside. I just couldn't stop him. I'm sure glad he did. All right, Lappin. I want the key to that metal door on the floor. You can't do it. Give it here. All right, Rogers. Take it. Thanks. Now you're going into the dungeon you've got below the floor. You can't do that. I'm locking you down there. Then I'm herding your men to the side room. And I want you to give orders for him to stay there. Because once you're locked up, Jonah's taking the key to the door, and he's riding out of here with it, and he's not coming back. No, sir. I, huh? Not coming back? I'm waiting here for Tom Hill and John Kennedy, Jonah. If there's any interference from Lappin's men, then Lappin stays in the dungeon from now on. But if they let me take those two rattlers, I'll send the key back. After Tom and Johnny are in the jail. Is that understood? Yeah, well, all right, but I don't want to... All right. Lappin, get moving. Jonah, you and Dale put your guns on these hombres until I get Lappin locked up. You'd better help him, Bullet. Say, if you Roy Rogers fans could visit the cookhouse at the Double R Bar Ranch, you know what you'd find? Stacks of that exciting new cereal sensation, Post Sugar Crisp. Yes, sir, it didn't take folks around the ranch long to discover what a perfect treat Post Sugar Crisp is. That's because it's fun to eat all day long. As a cereal, it's dandy. For snacks, it's so handy. Or eat it like candy. At breakfast time, that deliciously candy-coated puffed wheat tastes so wonderful with milk or cream. You don't need sugar. It's already sweet. At snack time, post-sugar crisp is perfect, too. Either in a cereal bowl or right out of the package like candy. And what a wholesome treat. Wheat 
for nourishment. Sugar and honey coated on for flavor. Plus, quick energy. If you haven't tried Post Sugar Crisp yet, tell Mom to order it right away. That's Post Sugar Crisp. In regular or giant size, red, white, and blue packages with the three little bears on the front. Roy and Dale have waited in the gunman's hangout for almost half an hour. Tense, alert, lest the outlaws in the next room decide to make trouble. Now they hear a signal being tapped on the outer door. They move through the dark hall, open the door. Have you, Ken? Come on in. It's dark in here. Man can't see a thing. Let's get this over with fast. Still laughing? Tom Hill and John Kennedy are here with the money they owe. The money they took from the dead man? Huh? It's not Ken. It's somebody else. Shut up. The curse Murray put on his gold. The curse is working. It's been working ever since we killed him. That's what we wanted to hear, Roy. It's Roger, John. Come on, let's get out of here. Oh, not so fast. Let's go. That did it, Roy. You bet. Now to get him over to the sheriff's office and have him sign the confession they made. Here comes Jonah. Hey, Jonah. Huh? Did you send that key back to Lappin's place? Yes, sir, Roy. I sure did. You see, I sure did. He ought to have it by now and be letting old thick ears out of his cell. <laughs> you know, Roy, there's something I've been wondering about all this. Yeah? Now, Bullet always minds. He never disobeys. But today he did. He insisted on following your trail instead of the trail Johnny and Tom left. Otherwise, we wouldn't have gotten to Lappin's place until after Tom and Johnny did. Yeah, no, I've been thinking about that, too. Well, Roy, do you suppose... Oh, I don't believe in curses, but do you suppose that curse old Murray put on his money had anything to do with the way Bullet acted? I don't know. I don't believe in curses either, but this is the first time Bullet ever disobeyed. Wait a minute. What's that you said, Roy? You don't believe in curses? Why, no, Jonah. Do you? Oh, you betcha. You betcha. And I'll tell you why. Now, in this beanpot war I mentioned earlier... Well, sir, one of the Saganapolis Islanders cursed Corporal Dumphy. Said bumps would raise up all over his skin and he'd lose his teeth before the sunset. Well? Oh, did he? Huh. Dale, the fellow who said the curse had no more than got the words out of his mouth, then Corporal Dumphy walked straight into a hornet's nest. And the bumps riz up. Say they riz up. Hmm. You know, there's nothing like fighting a nest of stinging hornets to make bumps rise up on a man, I'll tell mm-hmm. you. But how about the teeth? You said the curse would... Yeah, well, well, he lost them, just like the prediction... He runs so fast to get away from the hornets, his teeth popped out of his back pocket. Out of his <laughs> back pocket? Oh, yes. You see, Corporal Dumphy was sort of stingy. He always carried his teeth in his pocket so they wouldn't wear out so fast. <laughs> Roy, what are we going to do about this fellow? Uh, I don't know. I talked to the whale about Jonah a few days ago, and the whale absolutely refused to take him back. <laughs> so I think I'll see what I can do with an old beat-up mackerel next time. <laughs> Ever 
great roundup And cowboys like dogies will stand To be marked by the riders of judgment Who are posted and know every breath This is Roy Rogers saying to all of you from all of us, goodbye, good luck, and may the good Lord take a liking to you. See you next week. Happy trails to you until we meet again. Happy trails to you. Keep smiling until then. The Roy Rogers Show is brought to you by at this same time with the Whippoorwills, Forrest Lewis, Dale Evans, and the king of the cowboys himself, Roy Rogers. An Art Rush production transcribed, directed by Tom Hargis, script by Ray Wilson, music by Milton Charles. Featured in today's cast were Frank Hemingway, Bill Green, Tim Graham, and Sam Edwards. This is Art Ballinger speaking for P.O.S.T. Post Serials. Happy trails to until we meet again Happy trails to you Keep smiling until then Who cares about the clouds if we're together Just sing a song and bring the sunny weather Happy trails to you
Adventure. An innocent business trip into Bulgaria becomes a journey into hell. Tonight's story by Ron Evans is entitled Night Arrest. Ah, oh, there you are, Blake. Good. Come in. Close the door. Sit down for a moment. Yes, Mr. Billington. <clears throat> well, I suppose you must be wondering why I've sent for you on a Friday afternoon. Yes, sir. Yes, I'm sending you on a week's holiday. What? How does that strike you? Oh, very nice, Mr. Billington. To Bulgaria. Uh, Bulgaria, sir? Yes. Sophia, there's a trade exhibition there. I'd like you to go as an observer. Bulgaria's behind the iron curtain. Oh, Codswallop, Blake. It's more of a plastic curtain these days. Keep up with the times, man. Read your newspapers, not just the sports and comic strips. Uh, Mr. Peter. Now then, I have the official invitation here from the exhibition organizers. So you'd better take it. There you are. And I booked a seat for you Sunday morning, Heathrow. There's your ticket. It's a direct flight. Oh, this is all very sudden, Mr. Billington. I mean... I haven't been east of Colchester in my entire life. Yes, I've heard you're a bit of a recluse, Blake. Forty years old, aren't you, and still not married. Well, it's about time you spread your wings and saw something of the world. But, sir, I'm in the accounts department. Surely going to Sophia would be a sales rep's job. Well, I can't spare one, Blake. What with the recession ending and China now wide open for trade with the West? I've nine of my best men there right now. Nearly a million dollars worth of new business they pulled in this month. It's all expansion, Blake. Wonderful. What exactly will I have to do? Oh, it's quite simple, really. Uh, you've been booked for a week into the Hotel Byzantine, which is only five minutes' walk from the exhibition site. You'll take a briefcase full of our latest brochures and hand them around. You'll find dozens of reps who are interested in heavy engineering products. Just let it be known who you are. You get names and addresses, all that kind of thing. It's all a matter of using your common sense, Greg. I have to miss my Sunday go. Well, there's more to life than whacking a silly white ball all over the countryside. <sighs> so, that's about it, Blake. Uh, oh, if you see Carruthers, he'll give you a letter of credit for a thousand pounds and all the brochures you'll need. So, have a nice trip. The weather in Bulgaria will be lovely at this time of the year. I'm sure it will, sir. Friday was a bad day for Arthur Blake. He was a quiet man, unworldly and rather narrow in his lifestyle. He lived alone in a small semi-detached where he spent most of his time gardening, listening to orchestral concerts on his hi-fi or fussing over his stamp collection. His only outside interest was golf, which occupied his Sunday mornings. Then he would go to a quiet corner of his local where he would drink two pints of mild before going home. And now suddenly, he found himself being thrust out into the world for a whole week, and the very thought appalled him. On Sunday morning, he nervously checked in at Heathrow and was airborne an hour later, his stomach churning with horror as he saw the land fall away and the puffy white clouds beginning to swirl past the window next to him. 
Luckily for him, the airways provided a sick bag for passengers such as Arthur Blake. It was three in the afternoon, local time, when the plane touched down at Sophia, and Arthur thankfully made his way out into the warm afternoon sunlight. At the airport, he changed some traveller's checks and took a taxi to the Hotel Byzantine. His room was comfortable, and his window overlooked a well-tended park. Feeling even braver still, Arthur went down to the bar before dinner. To his considerable annoyance, they didn't have any pints of mild like his local, so he had to settle for a bottle of Polish beer. It was dark and vaguely sweet, and yes, it tasted foreign. He took his dinner in the restaurant and then went back to his room, resolved to take a bath and have an early night. He had no sooner taken off his shoes than... Oh, now, who can that be? Yes? Good evening. I am Major Gregor Rukas of the State Security Bureau. Here is my identification. May I come in? Why, yes, certainly. My two men will remain outside the door while we talk. What can I do for you, Major? Your identification first. Passport, please. Yes, it's here in my jacket pocket. Hmm. I'm, I'm sure you'll find it all in order. I hope so. Thank you. Arthur Blake. Where were you born, Mr. Blake? It says in... I know, but I want you to tell me. Wimbledon. You play tennis? Uh, no, golf. In Wimbledon? No, no, I live in Hampstead now. I see. And what is the purpose of your visit to Bulgaria? Oh, business. The trade exhibition? Yes, that's correct. Are you here to meet anyone in particular? Oh, no, just to look around. At what? Uh, the uh, heavy engineering exhibits. Anything else? Well, just to talk to the exhibitors. I hand out a few of my company brochures. And where are these brochures? Uh, here in my briefcase. Do you want to see them? All in good time, Mr. Blake. Are you using traveler's checks for money? Yes, and I also have a letter of credit for a thousand pounds. I see. I uh, think, Mr. Blake, we shall go for a small walk. But... I was about to go to bed. I think the walk will do you more good. Where will we walk to? Why? To my office. It will be more convenient for us to talk there. I haven't done anything wrong. Did I say you have? This is purely a routine matter, Mr. Blake. An hour, perhaps, no more. Can you tell me why? I'm not at liberty to discuss the matter here. Please, Mr. Blake, your shoes. I'm not sure I should. You would be making a terrible mistake to refuse. I and my superiors would be forced into believing you have something to hide. All right. But please, I, I do want to be back as soon as possible. I have a very busy day ahead of me tomorrow. I'm sure you have, Mr. Blake. Arthur Blake accompanied Gregor Rukas from the room, fighting back a feeling of blind panic. The two uniformed policemen outside the door fell in behind them. After leaving the hotel, they walked a distance of three blocks to a squat black stone building and went inside. After passing through two doors guarded by heavily armed policemen, Rukas barked an order to his uniformed companions, and then he smiled at Blake. They will take you to my interrogation room. I shall join you in a few minutes. Eh? Rukas walked off down a corridor. One of Arthur's guards prodded him along another corridor, down a flight of stone steps and along a dark, narrow passage 
with a line of steel doors set into the walls on one side. Arthur's panic grew, especially when the policeman stopped outside one of the doors and unlocked it. Wait a minute. This is a prison cell. It's a bloody dungeon. Arthur was pushed forward and the door was slid to and locked. Light came from a dingy bulb far above his head. The ancient stone walls were wet and moss-covered. The only furnishings were a bare plank bed, a chair, and a metal pot filled with water. A small hole in the floor was obviously intended to serve as the latrine. Succumbing to his terror, Arthur flung himself at the steel door. Let me out! I've done nothing wrong! Let me out of here, please! Love of heaven, listen to me! What have I done? It's monstrous what you're doing to me! Please, please come and listen to me! Don't leave me here like this! Please! Please! Mr. Blake? What is this? Have you broken down so soon? What are you trying to do to me? You have been in here less than ten minutes, and I find you weeping. I find that quite strange. I'm scared as hell, that's why. Could you tell me what this is all about? I think you know. I don't know anything. Who really sent you to our country? Mr. Billington. I, I didn't want to. He forced me into it. All I wanted to do was stay at home... I should have known something horrible like this would happen. It always happens when you mix with foreigners. You are the foreigner here, Mr. Blake. It's not the same thing at all. I'm not a proper foreigner. I'm British. Ah, yes. Which brings me round to the subject of your passport. It is forged. Forged? But that's impossible. I got it myself from the passport office. According to you, yes. But it's true. Tell me. Tell me, why have you really come to Bulgaria? To spy on the new Soviet missile base at Constanza? You think I'm a spy? Oh, no, that, that's absurd. Is it? Can you explain the automatic pistol we found in your briefcase? A gun? Oh, no, you must be having me on. I've never touched a real gun in my life. I'm being very patient with you, Mr. Blake. But for your own sake, you must tell me the truth. I am. I am. Then explain the weapon and the map we found stitched into the lining of your suitcase. Gun. Map. Am I going mad? If you insist in playing innocent, I shall be forced to hand you over to Sergeant Savak for intensive interrogation. No, no. This can't be real. I'm sure you must have seen in movies what the medieval torture chamber looks like. The rack, the boot, thumb screws, all that kind of thing. Well, Sergeant Savak is an expert, and he has such a chamber only a few meters from here. <laughs> you know, he even has a brazier and branding irons. I, I won't listen. I, I refuse to listen. It can't be real. This is a dream. I went to bed, and now I'm dreaming. Having a terrible nightmare. Oh, this is real, Mr. Blake. Or whatever your name really is. If you are not prepared to cooperate, then Sergeant Savek will be allowed to have his way with you. No. Now then, shall we start at the very beginning? 
What is your real name? The name of your superior officer and who you have been instructed to contact in Bulgaria. Oh, I wish to heaven I was a spy. Then I can tell you all you want to know. Is it lies you want? I have heard enough lies. And now my patience is exhausted. <laughs> Sergeant Slavik, <laughs> take him away. He is all yours. <laughs> in life are obvious and easy. If you have a business providing a good service or selling a product, you need to let people know. But how do you do that? Easy. Just tell them here on springbokradio.com. Internet radio is about talking to people in their own homes. Your message becomes part of the sound they've chosen to listen to. To find out more about advertising on springbokradio.com, contact Dave Dupria on Johannesburg 011-678-5176 or for outside South Africa 27116785176 or email Dave at springbokradio.com. Huge, burly man entered the cell as Rukas left. Sergeant Savick was accompanied by two policemen. They roughly grabbed Arthur and stripped off his clothing. He was then frog-marched out of the cell along the narrow corridor and down a steep flight of stone steps. Arthur's eyes bulged in horror at the sight that met his eyes. Rukas had been right. The chamber he was dragged into was a medieval torture chamber. The only sign that it was the 20th century were the two fluorescent lights set high in the stone ceiling. He felt sick and faint. Savick barked orders to his assistants and Arthur was strapped onto a circular rack. Arthur alternately cried and sobbed. How do you like my work, Stacy, man? A pretty sight for an enemy spy, don't you think? I am not a spy. Honestly, I swear it. <laughs> Major Roca says you are, and I prefer to believe him. I came here for an exhibition, I oh, tell you. Oh, now you are the exhibition. Oh, well, shall we get to work? You surprise me, Englishman. Most suspects break down just at the sight of this chamber. I've broken down too, believe me. I'm terrified out of my wits. No, you cannot be, I can tell you only pretend to be afraid. Why should I do that, for heaven's sake? To make us sympathetic and ready to believe you are innocent. Let me explain to you what there is to look forward to. The wheel you are strapped to is capable of pulling your arms and legs from their socks. <laughs> A very painful experience. <laughs> Noisy, too. You're sick. But back to business. 
The wheel, rather slack at present. Rodescu, swear it's the dog's related. No, no, please, dog. No. Oh, heaven help me. You make such a lot of noise, yet we've barely taken up the slack. What do I have to do to make you stop? Just tell the truth. Major Rukas asked the questions, and I'll call him if you want to provide the answers. Was this on the way? No, 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 please, please, no more. I'll, I'll tell him everything. Are you sure? Yes, yes, I am certain. Slacken off the wheel. I cannot do that. I'll call the Major, but I must warn you. If you are bluffing for time, you will regret it. That is a promise. No, no. Sorry, sight, Mr. Blake. The sergeant tells me you want to cooperate. Yes, yes. Just let me off here, please. I'll, I'll tell you all you want to know, please. Tell me, and then you can come off the wheel. You, you didn't have to take away my, my clothes. It was very necessary. Humiliation is part of the treatment. It uh, brings a man down to the status of a caged animal. Oh. All his dignity and resolve fades away to nothing except for a desire to survive. Now... Now to business. You are a spy, yes? Yes. Name? Uh, uh, Reginald Charles Ogden. Service number? Uh, 334-079. Strange one. Are you telling me the truth, Ogden? Yes, yes, it's it's a new department. Who is its head? Uh, Brigadier Summers. He isn't on my list. What was his former position? Uh, I don't know. Very well. We'll come back to that question later. What was your mission here? Uh, to gain information on all the Soviet installations here. And who are you to contact for assistance? Uh, nobody. I was to work on my own initiative. You're lying again. No, no, it's the truth. Please. How could you tour the country and get your information without assistance? By train. You found the map. Uh, the map didn't tell us much. But all the sensitive areas were clearly marked on it. Hmm. Yes, it's possible that you are telling me the truth. We can go into the finer details later. Why did you risk bringing a gun into Bulgaria? To defend myself, of course. The custom officials could have found it. I I, I did it. Where? In my trousers. Why didn't it affect the alarm system at Heathrow Airport when you passed through? It was arranged for me to pass through a separate entrance into the departure lounge. Hmm. Sergeant Savick, I'm sorry to have to deprive you of your night's work. Take the prisoner back to his cell while I go and check on the information he's given to me. I hope you've been telling me the truth, Mr. Ogden. One lie, and it's back to Sergeant Savick's playground. Feeling weak but relieved... Arthur Blake was unstrapped from the wheel and marched back to the cell. Never for a moment would he have believed it possible to be thankful to be back in such a place. But at that time, it seemed like paradise. He sat for a while on the wooden chair after putting his clothes back on. He wondered how long it would take for Rukas to find out he had invented the whole story. An hour, perhaps two. And then back to the torture chamber, the steel boots. He shuddered. Death would be better. 
Ah, yes, you look more dignified now, Mr. Ogden. Well, I'm pleasantly surprised to find you told me the truth. I, I did? I mean, yes, I had to. That place was more than I could bear. A confession is being typed out by one of my men, which you will sign. Then it will be all over. Does that make you feel better? Wonderful. It should be here in a few minutes. The execution will be at eight in the back courtyard. Execution? The usual reward for captured spies, is it not? But this is monstrous. Surely you didn't believe we would let you go. I I did everything you asked of me. I cooperated. It was that or Sergeant Savak. In my opinion, the firing squad is the far better choice. So that's what it was. A choice between death and torture, followed by death. Exactly. Ah, this must be the confession. Carlo Rogia, here. Ah, here it is, Mr. Ogden. Just sign each copy on the dotted line at the bottom, will you? I can't read it. I, I don't know what it says. It's not in English. This is not England. What it says is of no real interest to you. Now, please, sign. Sign my own death warrant. What did I ever do to deserve this? You became a spy. Now, kindly sign. There you are. Thank you. Well, I'll see you when they come for you at ten to eight. Have a pleasant sleep. For a while, Arthur stared at the steel door that separated him from freedom, from the world he had seen so little of. His earlier panic had subsided, and now he felt strangely calm. There was nothing he could do to save himself, and Rukus had been right. A quick death was infinitely preferable to Sebek's barbarity. His mind pondered the outside world. All the good things in life he had missed because of his reclusive habits. If he could live it again, life would be different. He would make friends, become a more social animal. He sat on the edge of the plank bed. Sleep was out of the question, of course. Time dragged slowly until he wanted it to be eight. It was better to get it over and done with. And then he heard it. It is time. I'm ready. I didn't bring you breakfast. We consider it a waste of valuable food. Shall we go? Yes. Slightly stooped, Arthur marched with his executioners up the flight of steps, down a long corridor and out into a courtyard. The sun was shining, and he straightened himself up, determined now to face the final ordeal with a show of bravado. The guards stepped away from him, and he found himself in front of a car. The rear door was opened, and Major Rukas was sitting inside. The driver was in civilian clothes. Morning, Mr. Ogden. 
Please, get inside. What is all this? Do as I ask. Close the door. Is this some more of your torture? I'm to be executed somewhere else? <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's nothing like that at all. Where are you taking me, then? There is a flight for London in an hour. Your things have been collected from the hotel and are waiting for you at the airport. What? This package contains your passport, money, and other documents. I don't understand. You are free to go, Mr. Blake. We found you were telling the truth the first time around. <laughs> I must say, though, that your second attempt was very convincing. What happened? Oh, no doubt you will learn the truth in due course. I suppose the world looks a better place now, eh? Oh, I'll never whine again. Believe me, I'm ready to enjoy every minute. Oh, by the way, you can have this. It's my confession. Oh, not really. It was really your acceptance of an apology given by my government for your mistaken arrest. So you knew I was innocent when I signed it? Yes. You bloody sadistic swine. I spent all night thinking that I... It was necessary. Please believe that, Mr. Blake. It was vitally necessary. The gun and the map you claimed to have found? Oh, those. <laughs> well, they didn't really exist. I think the whole incident is best forgotten. Please, have a nice flight home. Had an exciting time, I hear, Blake. I'm back from the jaws of hell. Oh, Major Rufus saw you out safely, didn't he? You, you know of him? Oh, yes, one of our great operatives. Great chap. Intensely loyal. What? Oh, well, I suppose you deserve to know the truth. You were used as a scapegoat, Blake. That's a bit hard on you, I'll admit, but it was essential to get in a genuine agent. The Bulgars were tipped off. They were looking for him. I sent you so that Rukas could use you as a smokescreen while the real agent got through. Oh, no. yeah, it was a bit tough on you, I'll admit, but well, you came out unscathed. There was very little risk in it for you. Oh, yes. I'm an administrator of special intelligence services. We're rather an elite little group of hellraisers. <laughs> right, another, another, Blake. How soon can you get the Atkinson account ready? Should have been finished last week. I know, sir. I was a bit pressed for time. Yeah, well, you better get on with it then, Blake. Not before I tell you what I really think about you and your damned elite little group of hellraisers. And after that, I'm going to resign and enjoy life and all the petty vices I've been missing. High Adventure is produced by Henry Duffenthal. Christian sci-fi with humor, adventure and a touch of romance, read Quantum Spacewalker, Jarl's Journey. Travel with Jarl through the universe and several dimensions as he unearths items to help those struggling to survive on Earth during the catastrophic conclusion of the age. 
GraceGrows.com has more information. Read Quantum Spacewalker, Jarl's Journey by Grace S. Gross. You are about to hear a wonderful story full of action and excitement. It is taken from the pages of the Bible. Yes, the Bible. And that's because the Bible is the book with more marvelous stories in it than any other book ever written. So, get ready to listen to a tale of storm and flood, of good and evil. The story of... Noah and the Ark. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. Then he made the sun so it could shine on the earth by day and the moon and stars to shine at night. After that, he planted a garden in Eden, and there he put the first man and the first woman. The man was named Adam, and the woman, Eve. Time went on, and soon the earth was full of people. One man, Noah, was truly good and just. So God spoke to him, and Noah heard his words. Now, here's Noah to tell you about this miracle and the terrible and wonderful things that happened afterward. I heard the voice of the Lord speaking to me from heaven. I fell on my face and listened to him. Then I ran home as fast as I could to tell my family what he had said to me. I was so tired I could hardly talk. My wife and my sons gathered around me as I stumbled in. Oh, no, what's happened? Father, you look so pale and weak. Noah, what is it? Father, talk to us. A miracle. A miracle. Go on, Father. The Lord spoke to me from heaven. From heaven? He said that men had become wicked and evil. He said he was going to destroy every living thing on this earth. Oh, oh, destroy oh, us? How, Father? He is going to cover the whole earth with a great flood of water. Everyone and everything will drown. No, 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 Father. I, I don't want to die. Not you, Japheth. Everyone but this family. We will all be saved if... If... if what? If we carry out his commands... The Lord commands us to build an ark of wood with small rooms in it. It is to be covered with pitch to keep it safe from the waters of the flood. This ark, Father, will it float on the water? Yes, Jacob. It's a great wooden ship, and the Lord wants us to take refuge in it, all of us. And we are to take at least two of every living creature with us. When will it start, this flood you talk about? I don't know. The Lord didn't say... But I do know this. We must start building at once. So we began to build the ark, just as the Lord commanded, of cypress wood with a window and a door. And we began gathering the animals and food to feed ourselves and them. I went to the people and told them about the flood, that it was coming. But they only laughed at me and made cruel jokes. Even two of my own sons, Ham and Shem, began to wonder if I had been telling the truth. But I made them keep on with their work without resting. 
Noah, you must stop working now. You are tired. We are all tired, Mother. Father, do you know what I think? What happened? That you never heard the Lord talk. Maybe you had a dream. Yes, Father. See how the sun shines in the sky? Where are the rains and floods you keep talking about? My father said he heard God speak. I believe him. Quiet, Japheth. You don't know what you're talking about. Father always tells the truth. Thank you, Japheth. Japheth, it's possible that Father is wrong this time. There are others who feel as we do. Listen to the crowd outside the ark. <laughs> To the angry crowd. I walked to the rail of the ark which we were building in the meadow and got closer to the people. They were making fun of the ark and of me. I had spoken to them, I had warned them and begged them to listen to me, but they were too busy with evil thoughts and deeds. Now I tried again to make them listen, but I couldn't make myself heard over the noise of that crowd. Japheth believed in me, but I went on doing what the Lord had commanded, and I saw to it that my family did their jobs too. Ham, are we ready now? Yes, Father. Good. Time is growing short. Perhaps. But you'll notice the sun is shining brightly. I don't think you have to worry. Is the roof sealed with pitch to keep out the waters? Yes, Father, it is. But right now, it can protect us from this sunshine. <laughs> I don't think that's funny. Don't make fun of Father. Thank you, Javeth. I'm glad you have trust and faith in me and in God. As for you, Ham and Shem, I order you to lead the animals into the ark now. I'm sorry, Father. Even though I think we're working for nothing, I'll do what you say. Lead them in, as the Lord commanded. A male and female of each kind. The lion and the lioness. The goat and the she-goat, the sheep and the ram, 
The stallion and the mare. The tiger and the she-tiger. The lizards and the snakes. The birds. And now, my family, I suggest we get into the ark before the deluge strikes. But it's so stuffy in the ark, Noah. The animals are howling. They frighten me. Besides, there's still no sign of... What's that? Thunder! Thunder and lightning. You see, Father told the truth. He heard the voice of the Lord. He heard him. Run, all of you, into the ark. Run for your lives. Get inside before the rain sweep you away. The deluge has begun. safe inside the ark, my family and all the animals, but I could hear the people outside. There was nothing I could do, nothing any of us could do to save them. My wife pleaded with me, weeping. Noah, I, I cannot bear it. They're drowning. We must do something, Father. They're wicked people. They have cruel tongues and evil thoughts, but how can we let them die? What can we do now? It is too late. Well, we can go out, try to pull some of them into the ark. The ark holds everything it can hold. There's not an inch of room for anything or anyone else. Why? Why didn't they listen to you? I did my best. You saw what they did. They threw stones at me. They called me crazy. The wicked do not know the truth when they hear it. Some of us here are no better than they are. We didn't believe you either, Father. But you worked. And you obeyed my commands. And the Lord's. Father, can't we save them? Can't we? Japheth, you alone believed in me from the beginning. It's hard for me to tell you. There is nothing we can do. Right now, the waters already cover the earth. It is too late. Too late. And it was too late. All I had said was true. There were no more cries and screams from the people. There were no more people or animals. Everything, everyone had drowned. The Lord had destroyed every living creature, just as he had said he would. Every living creature except those of us in the ark. And still the rains continued to pour from heaven. The water got deeper and deeper. The meadow became a great lake, and the ark floated up on it. Then the rain stopped, and a storm hit us. The ark pitched and tossed on the waves, and all of us inside the ark were terribly frightened. It's so dark. I'm afraid. Where are we, Father? Where is the ark headed for? Father, first it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. I counted them day after day, night after night. And now there's a storm. 
I don't like being locked up in here. What will become of us? When will the storm end? Even the animals are frightened. I'm afraid they'll break out and kill us all. The Lord said he would take care of us. The Lord helps those who help themselves. Instead of complaining and shaking with fear, I think all of us should get back to our work. I'm tired, Father. It's so dark and hot. Sooner or later, it will end. Right now, we must be brave and do our duty. We must wait for a sign from the Lord. The rains had stopped, but the waves and seas got angrier and angrier. The ark pitched and rolled about in the storm. Even I was frightened. But then suddenly the winds came. God had remembered us. He'd made a great wind blow to dry up the waters. I was sure of it. Then I heard a strange sound. What has happened now, Noah? What is it, Father? God has remembered us. The bottom of the ark is resting on something solid. The waters must be going down. A few days later, we opened the window of the ship and saw a wonderful sight. We discovered our ark had come to rest on Mount Ararat. Father, look! Mountaintops! The water has gone down. I can see the mountains. Oh, how lovely to feel the warm sun and smell fresh air again. Father, what are you going to do with the dove? I'm going to set her free. Why? To tell us about the earth. If the water is gone, the dove will build a nest in a tree. She won't come back to us. And if she comes back? Then we know the trees are still under the water. Go, little dove, through this window. And if you fly back, return to my hand. The dove could find no tree to rest on. So that night she came back. A week later, I sent her out again. And late that night, she returned once more. Father. Yes, Javeth. The dove is carrying something in her beak. Something green and shiny. Noah, what is it? It is an olive leaf. Father. That means the dove found an olive tree above the water. She brought us back a twig with leaves on it. Now we can rejoice and be happy. Before we know it, the ark will be resting on the dry ground. Then we can leave and start building homes, homes for all of us. A week later, we lifted up the cover of the ark. The earth was dry. We were resting on the ground. We were safe. Japheth and I looked about. We were glad to see the sky and trees again. But still, we were sad. No people. No animals. Not a person around, Father. Not a bird or a cow or even a little caterpillar. The Lord said it would be so, and it is. How terrible. 
I know the people were wicked, but still, they were all drowned. We cannot question the ways of the Lord, Japheth. Now stop worrying. We have a lot of work to do. We must all start building for the future. offered our thanks to the Lord. Then, just as I was praying, the Lord appeared to me again. He blessed us all, and he made a covenant with me. He promised that he would never again send a flood to destroy the earth, and as a sign of this promise, he put a rainbow in the clouds. So whenever you see a rainbow in the heaven after a storm, remember, as Japheth did, that rainbow is a sign of God's promise that he will never again destroy the earth and all living creatures on it by flood. This was the story of the flood that destroyed the wicked people and the ark in which the good people were saved. It was also the story of Japheth, whose faith and trust were rewarded. After the flood, Ham, Shem, and Japheth began to travel and had many children. Their children had children, and they settled all over the whole world. So Noah was really the father of all the nations and all the people born after the flood, including you and me. And Noah, he lived 350 years after that and died at the age of 950 years. The story of Noah from the book of Genesis in your Bible. Pick up a copy of Conflict with Shadows today from your favorite online bookstore. Around Dark City and to the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal.
Mr. Dillon? Yeah, Chester. You want to see the prettiest sight north of the Pecos? Huh? Sight? Come over here to the window and look what's coming down the street. Not if it's anything besides trouble, it'll surprise me. She must come in on the Santa Fe from the east. Wow. Say, I think she's coming here. Yeah, it looks that way. My, I should have shaved this morning. Or even yesterday morning. Now, what could a lady like that be doing in Dodge City? Say, maybe she's going to work in one of the saloons, Mr. Dillon. No, I hope not, Chester. Uh, good morning, ma'am. How do you do? I'm... I- I'm looking for the United States Marshal. Well, I'm the, uh... <laughs> My name's Dillon, Matt Dillon. I'm... Catherine Blair, Mr. Dillon. Oh, it's a pleasure, Miss Blair. May I introduce my deputy? This is Chester Proudfoot. How do you do? How do you do? I uh, just got in on the train from Boston, Mr. Dillon. Oh? The station master said that you might be able to help me. Well, I'll be glad to. I'm looking for my brother, Martin Blair. Why, say, Mr. Dillon... Uh, uh, Chester, will you punch up that fire? It seems a little chilly in here. Chilly? Yeah... Sure. Right away, Mr. Dillon. Do you happen to know my brother, Mr. Dillon? Uh, yes. Yes, I know him. Oh, good. Then you can tell me where to find him. Well, I, I'm not too sure that I can. You see, he, uh, he moves around a lot. Yes, I know. He left home and came out west two years ago, and every time he's written us, it's been from a different address. He's always been that way. Restless, I guess you might call it. Yes, yes, I guess you might. Mother's always thinking he might get into trouble out here by himself, but I tell her not to worry. He's young yet. He'll grow out of it. I see. Uh, meanwhile, though, you'll you'll need some place to stay, I imagine. Well, yes, I, I suppose there's a hotel. Uh, I think the Widow Markham may have an extra room. You'd be better off there than at the hotel. Uh, y- your baggage at the station? Yes. Chester, mm-hmm. uh, will you go to the station with Miss Blair and then take her over to Widow Markham's and get her settled in a room? Sure thing, Mr. Dillon. This is awfully nice of you. <laughs> Not at all. And, uh, Chester... Will you explain the situation to Miss Markham? I mean that uh, we don't know where Miss Blair's brother is at the moment, Chester. Yes, sir. I'll explain it to her, Mr. Dillon. After you, ma'am. Oh, thank you. You're very kind, Mr. Dillon. Goodbye. Goodbye. Jack, wake up, Jack. I'm not asleep, Marshal. What do you want? The jail cell usually softens a man up. Not this one, Dylan. Not now or 20 years from now. Yeah, yeah, I know. You want something or are you just making conversation? Your sister's in town, Martin. Kathy? 
Kathy's here in Dodge? She just left the office. She's looking for you. What'd you tell her? Nothing. Yet. Seems like a fine girl. You gotta get her out of here, Dylan. Don't let her find out. Get her on a train and get her out of here. Oh? Uh-huh. Why? Maybe I'm no good. But there's no reason why Kathy should pay for it. That's got nothing to do with me. Then you won't help. You won't keep her from finding out? I don't know if I can, Martin. But I'll think about it. Dylan. Hello, Chester. Anything come up? No, sir. It's been the quietest night in weeks. Yeah, no trail herds in town. I guess that's the reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miss Blair's all right, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, she's all right, Chester. Have you told her about her brother, Mr. Dillon? Well, I, I told her that he's out of town. We're trying to get word to him. The truth's bound to get to her somehow. Sooner or later? Yeah, I know. I know. Only reason it hasn't already is because everybody in town knows him as Boston Jack. Yes, but his real name will come out at the trial next week, though. Well, I've been trying to get her to leave before then, go back home, but she won't leave until she sees him. Mm-hmm. He's sure going to go hard with her when she finds out her brother's guilty of cattle wrestling. And murder and horse stealing. And this time we got a witness. Yes, sir. I don't rightly see how you can keep her from finding out, Mr. Dillon. Well. Come on, Chester, let's have a talk with Martin. Nice night, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, it's fine. Great night for taking a walk. Don't you think so, Martin? Anything's better than rotting in that cell. Well, where did you expect to end up? All you got is old man Hawk's word against mine. He's lying. The jury will believe him. If he could see me so plain, how come he couldn't tell you who was with me? It was dark. He saw your face in the gun flesh when you shot his foreman in the back. That's a lie. As far as that's concerned, I know who was with you, but I haven't got a case against him, Red Poley. Wasn't it? I wouldn't know. I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Well, suppose we leave it to the jury. Here's the wood of Markham's place, Mr. Dillon. Yeah. All right, Martin, let's get it straight now. You're here because you want to keep your sister from knowing the truth about you. Now, we're going in there and talk to her. Then you're going back to jail. You know the story I'm planning to tell her. I know. I just want to make one thing clear. You are going back to jail. Chester will stay on the front porch and cover you through the window, and I'll be inside with you, also wearing a gun. Don't try anything foolish. I wouldn't want to kill you in front of your sister, but if it comes to it, I'll do it. You understand? Sure. I understand. All right, let's go. 
I'll be there at the first window, Mr. Dillon. The parlor's on the left. All right, Chester. Heads up, Chester. Yes, sir. Good evening, Miss Blair. Oh, why, Mr. Dillon? I, uh, I've brought you a visitor. A visit? Martin. Hiya, Kathy. Oh, Martin. Oh, Martin, Martin. Here now. Take it easy. Oh, it's been so long. Oh, Martin, why didn't you write? Well, you know how it is, sis. Uh... Say, maybe we could all go inside, huh? Oh, of course. Come on in. Come in. Oh, I couldn't imagine who was knocking. Mrs. Markham has gone to bed and... Oh, here. Sit down, both of you. Uh, thank you, Miss Blair. Oh, Mr. Dillon. Where on earth did you find him? Well, I, uh... I guess I better confess to you, Miss Blair. I, uh... I knew all along where he was. What? The only trouble was I I just couldn't produce him. Oh, I, I'm afraid I don't understand you. Uh, well, you see, Martin's been doing some work for me. Uh, sort of secret work, you might say. We're trying to dig up evidence on a gang of cattle rustlers around. Oh, just wait till Mother hears about that. Oh, and she was so worried about you. Yeah... It's uh, quite a job. Uh, it's uh, pretty hard for your brother to get away from the gang without stirring up suspicion. In fact, he uh, he's only got about an hour this evening. Oh? But you will manage more time in the next day or so. I'm afraid not, sis. Uh, I may not be able to get away again for a month. A month? In fact... I've been thinking it over, and I think the best thing you can do is to take a train back home right away. But I just got here, Martin. It's no place for you, Kathy. Uh, he's right, Miss Blair. Dodge City's no town for a girl alone. But I came all this way to see Martin. It's like and... I told you, though, sis. Uh, it may be a month before I can manage to get away again. Uh, tell you what. After this, uh... Jobs finished. Maybe I can get back east for a week or so. Oh, Martin, if you only could. We'd all be so happy. I can't guarantee it, but I'll sure try. I'll admit I'm a little nervous here. Why, the very first thing Mrs. Markham showed me was a revolver she keeps hanging out there in the hall. In case of intruders, she said. Good heavens. Well, this is the frontier, Miss Blair. The law is still pretty much for the man who shoots first. Except sometimes. Yeah. That sounds awful. Martin, you will be careful, won't you? I'm always careful. I suppose I had better take your advice and arrange to leave in the next day or two. But meanwhile, we have an hour at least. Tell me about yourself, Martin. Tell me everything you've been doing. Say, 
It's cold in here, Mr. Dillon. Uh, yeah, you better get a fire started, Chester. I'll take Martin back and lock him up. I could use a little heat back in that cell. You got plenty of blankets. Well, come on, let's go. Now you walk ahead of me. Dillon, suppose the jury brings in a conviction. What's the sentence going to be? That's not up to me. I'm just asking for information. It means hanging, right? Probably. All right, stand right there while I open the cell. I don't want much to hang, Marshal. Nobody does. All right, Martin, get in. Slow and easy, Dylan. Put your hands up slow. Good. Now keep them that way. Where'd you get the gun? In the hall at Mrs. Markham's. I slipped it under my coat when I was kissing Kathy goodbye. I'll take your gun now, Dylan. Thanks. Feels good to be holding a pair of guns again. You won't be holding them long. Maybe. One thing, though. If you take me again, you'll have to take me dead. Any way you want it. In the cell, Dylan. Come on, move. Tell Chester goodbye for me, will you? I think I'll just go on out the back way. What about your sister? I guess she wouldn't want to see me hang either. When you come right down to it. So long, Doug. Turn for the second act of Gunsmoke in just a moment. But first, if you've ever had delusions of grandeur or a particularly soul-satisfying daydream, you'll understand the predicament of My Little Margie tomorrow night on CBS Radio. Convinced that she's a princess, My Little Margie, played by Gail Storm, gives her father, he's Charles Farrell, a royal pain in the neck. It's another comedy episode of CBS Radio's new Sunday night laugh program, My Little Margie, tomorrow night on most of these same stations. Now for the second act of Gunsmoke. Dylan, I know one of these keys is supposed to fit. Chester, all I've got to say is that it better fit. Yes, sir, it'll... Well, that's not it. It would be a fine how to do if we had to call in a blacksmith to get you out of your own jail. Chester. It'd be sort of like the time... Never mind, Chester. Just get the door open. Yes, sir. Oh, I know how you feel, all right, Mr. D... Well, I declare. <laughs> there you are, Mr. Dillon. Come on. I'll get the other gun out of the office safe. Fine, thanks you get for trying to help people. A man gets careless and then he winds up in a jam like this. Hey, let's see now. 
right, 27. Left, 69. Right. You sure going to be hard to explain why you took Martin out of jail, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, I know. If he gets clean away, we're going to look pretty foolish. He's not going to get away, Chester. Yes, sir. Ten to one, Martin will try to team up with his sidekick, Polly, before he heads out of town. Let's try the saloons first and see if we can pick up his trail. Yes, Mr. Dillon. Martin said we'd never bring him in alive. So don't take any chances. Mm. sign of him in here, Mr. Dillon. Not unless he's in the back room. Let's walk over toward the bar. That's bad business, Chester. Martin's already shot one man in the back. We'll never catch him in the open, if he's got anything to say about it. Yes, sir, I've been thinking about that. Kind of makes a man's spine crawl. Hiya, boy. Heavenly day. Uh... <laughs> you act as though you were caught robbing a bank, Chester. I've always suspected Chester of having a shady past, kid. <laughs> Uh, have a drink, man? Uh, no, no, we haven't got time. We, we can't stay. We're looking for a fellow. Uh, by the way, uh, who went bail for Boston Jack? What do you mean? Well, he was in here about ten minutes he ago. He was in here, huh? Yeah, he, he talked to Red Poley, and the two of them left together. I thought he must You know have... where they went, Kitty? Well, no, Matt, I haven't got any idea, but they sure left here in a hurry. He broke out of jail, huh? There's 40 ways from Sunday they could have ridden, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, I know. But if they're not in Dodge, there's only one way they'd head. The Circle B. Yeah. Martin knows Hawks is the only witness I've got against him. Come on, Chester. Ranch looks quiet. Yeah. Well, we've been making time. Maybe we outrode them. If they're even headed this way. Now well, they better be. Hold it. Who's there? Somebody standing there at the side of the house. Yeah, I see. It's the marshal, Matt Dillon. Is that you, Ezra? That's right. Come on up, Matt. What yeah. brings you way out here this time of night, Matt? Well... I'm sort of counting on an old acquaintance of yours showing up here sometime tonight. What are you talking about? Boston Jack. Out of jail. Matt, how'd that happen? Well, I doubt it would serve any good purpose to go into that right now. He hasn't been here, I take it. No. Matt, he's a mad dog. Ought to be shot a long time ago. I'd kill him on sight. Well, I came out here to make sure he doesn't kill you. Chester, put our horses in the barn. Get him out of sight, huh? All right, Mr. Dillon. And, uh, you may as well stay there, Chester, and cover the yard. Yes, sir. Well, what about us, Matt? What are we going to do? Go inside the house and put the lights out and wait. That's all, just wait. It's been 30 minutes, Matt. I think you're on a cold trail.
Yeah. You've had enough time to get here. Maybe not enough courage, though. They figured the odds are two to one in their favor. Shouldn't take much courage. People who've never killed anybody don't understand. The killer's worst enemy is his own nerve. Yeah. I take your word for it, Matt. I guess you've sat and waited like this plenty of times. Yeah, too many. Uh, does it ever bother you, Matt? Do you ever get to wondering? Wait if... a minute. Well, there they are, Ezra. Where, Matt? Over there by the corral. You see? They're walking the horses into the yard. Slow and quiet. Yeah. Yeah, I see him. What are you going to do, Matt? Go out and call him. Oh, they'll fire from the dark without no warning. Yeah, I know. They're getting off their horses. Got to walk up here, I guess. All right, Ezra. Stay in the house and keep out of this. Chester and I can handle them. Well, Matt, good luck. Thanks. Martin, Polly, you're under arrest. Oh, Heads up, Chester. I dropped Polly. Martin's running into the corral. Yes, sir, I see him, Mr. Dillon. You're trapped, Martin. Now climb out of that corral. I told you how it would be, Dillon. Come on in and get me. Sure, Martin. I'm coming. Are you all right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm all right. Is he... You didn't shoot him, eh? No. He fell off right in front of the stampede. They went right over him. for me, Chester. Uh, I'll go in and tell her. All right, sir. I hope she believes me. Don't worry, Mr. Dillon. She will. Uh, uh, I'll be out in a couple of minutes. Evening, Miss Blair. Why, Mr. Dillon, this is a surprise. Uh, do you mind if I step in? Well, of course I don't mind. Thank you. A friend of Martin's is welcome and... Mr. Dillon, is something wrong? I'm afraid so, Miss Blair. I'm... I've got bad news for you. It's Martin. Something's happened to Martin. Yes, ma'am. He's hurt. 
Uh, it's worse than hurt, ma'am. No. Oh, no. Martin was killed in a fight. Martin dead. If it's any consolation, Miss Blair, he... He died hard with all the odds against him. Martin never asked for favor. He fought a good fight. That's something to remember. Martin has always been fine and clean. He was just restless. People didn't understand. No, I suppose they didn't, Miss Blair. But he died on his feet, fighting. I guess that's the way Martin wanted it. Yes, I think so, ma'am. I suppose Miss Markham's here. I wouldn't want to leave you alone. Yes, she's here. I'll be all right, Mr. Dillon. Well, I'll come by and see you in the morning. Uh, if there's anything at all I can do... You've I... been very kind, Mr. Dillon. I'm grateful to you. I'm sorry about this, Miss Blair. Marshal, I'll be leaving tomorrow... Yes. Goodbye. Goodbye, Miss Blair. You all right, Mr. Dillon? I think so, Chester. Did she believe what you told her? Uh, what I told her was true. Mm. Well, there's no harm in letting her think the best of it. Martin paid his debt. No reason his sister should suffer. That's right, Mr. Dillon. Chester, uh, if I remember correctly, Kitty offered us a drink earlier this evening. That's right. Well, let's go. Smoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by Les Crutchfield, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Gene Bates, Sam Edwards, and Ralph Moody. Parley Bear is Chester, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Gunsmoke is heard by our troops overseas through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Eve Orden plays the wise-cracking English teacher Connie Brooks of Madison High Sunday nights on CBS Radio. And when our Miss Brooks calls the role on comedy, there's laughter enough for all takers. Sunday nights and most of these same stations join Eve Arden as our Miss Brooks for high-class classroom comedy. This is Roy Rowan speaking. America now listens to 105 million radio sets and listens most to the CBS Radio Network.
looking for a book that combines the Christian faith, with a fantasy adventure. Creator's Call does just that. 18-year-old Edward has been raised with tales of distant lands where dragons and other strange beasts dwell. He dreams of one day joining the Keepers, who fight against them to keep the land safe, however, life's obstacles keep him firmly rooted in the small town of Cadestone. When 17-year-old June comes passing through, following a dream given to her by the creator of the universe, Edward's life is about to change. Pursued by a demon-possessed man, the two of them are forced to flee to areas where dragons and monsters are not just tales but reality. June and Edward eventually discover what the demons want from them. Is it possible to defeat this evil and save everyone from the darkness that threatens their lands? Creator's Call is a Christian fantasy novel with clear Christian messages. A book that glorifies God while taking you on an adventure. Pick up a copy of Creator's Call today. Wheat Jack, Rice Jack, and Good Hot Ralston present Space Patrol! High adventure in the wild, vast reaches of space, missions of daring in the name of interplanetary justice. Travel into the future with Buzz Corey, Commander-in-Chief of the Space Patrol! In today's transcribed adventure, we find Buzz and Happy in a relay communication station in space at the mercy of Jim Colmar, who is in league with a strange alien power. Using some mysterious crystals, Colmar is forcing Buzz and Happy to obey him against their will. Um, follow me into the generator room. Commander, the crystals are getting brighter. That's all I can see or think about. Just the crystals. Try to look away. <coughs> Keep walking up to the generator. Closer. Closer. Fight it, Happy. Touch the connection. Reach out your hands. Happy, don't touch it. I, I can't hold back. You've got to. If you touch it, you're finished. We'll be back in just a moment with today's Space Patrol story, The Seed Crystals of Zelda Brand. This is Space Patroller Dick Tufeld, gang, and boy, am I excited. We have a new machine here at Space Patrol headquarters, and it's terrific. It's called the Flavor Meter. It's used for testing the flavor of food. Now, I have a plain, ordinary cereal right here, so let's test it. The better it tastes, the louder it'll ring the bell. All I do is put the cereal in this slot and push the button. Hmm, not much flavor there, is there? I suppose we put in some other ordinary cereal. Well, not even a tinkle. Now, here's a couple of super cereals I'd like to test. I'll put them both in. Wow, that did it. Those cereals really ring the bell for flavor. You bet. They were rice checks and wheat checks. Checks, the cereals with that modern bite-sized design. Checks, the super cereals that helped us supercharge you. Test them yourself, gang, in your own cereal bowl. Believe me, they'll really ring the bell for flavor. Rice checks, wheat checks. <laughs> And now, today's Space Patrol adventure, The Seed Crystals of Zaldebrand. Swinging in a wide orbit around the planet Saturn is the artificial satellite Com Relay 4, the powerful communications relay center. Serious trouble between two men assigned to duty at the space station has brought Commander Corey and Cadet Happy to investigate. With their ship, Terra 5, joined to the airlock of Com Relay 4, Buzz and Happy are now opening the inner lock of the huge disc-shaped relay station. Go ahead, Happy. Yes, sir. 
Omar, you look as though you haven't had any sleep for two days. Oh, it's been nearer three, sir. I've been working boat shifts. Why didn't you report this dispute between Siler and yourself immediately? I should be able to handle my own assistant. I don't like to yell to the top desk for help. Where is Siler? Uh, he took a swing at me, so I had to lock him up. He's back here. All right, let's find out what this is all about. Come on, Happy. Yes, sir. He's in here. All right, Omar. You'll wait for us in the control room. Happy and I will have a talk with Siler. Yes, Commander. I hope you can straighten him out. All right, Happy, open the door. Yes, sir. Well, Siler, let's hear your version of the story. Didn't Komar tell you I swung at him? Yes. Okay. I assaulted the superior. Why go into it any further? Close the door, Happy. Fellow, I know your record. You've worked these two-man teams for years. I find it hard to believe you suddenly went space-happy and struck Jim Colmar. Let's have the whole story. We got along all right at the beginning, but lately Colmar's been unreasonable. He races his rockets over every little thing. And you don't feel that you've done anything to antagonize him? No, sir. When was the first blow-up? A couple of days after the meteor hit us. Meteor? It was just a little one, about the size of a marble. We patched up the hole in the hull and everything was okay. And one day I walked into the control room to relieve him a little early. It was a favor, see, and he jumped down my throat. What did he say to him? Said he was tired of my sneaking up behind him. He got his hand clutched around something as though he were afraid I'd steal it. He acted like a spoiled kid. Was that when you swung at him? No, it was later. He kept finding fault with everything I did. But I finally blew up. I swung wild, and he connected. It was a little surprise. I didn't think Comar had it in him. Now, Siler, you're relieved from duty. I'm taking you back to Terra. But first, I want a written report from Jim Cormier. Commander, I just put Bob Siler aboard the spaceship for Venus. Oh, a few weeks in the rest camp at Lake Azure will fix him up all right. He certainly was grateful to you for not entering that row with Colmar as a black mark on his record. I'm putting it down as a flare-up of temperament due to confinement and strain. Actually, getting to think Colmar could do with the rest of Lake Azure, too. Oh, by the way, sir, the applicant for duty at uh, Tom Relay is waiting to see you. His name is uh, Jack Perkins. All right, happy show me. Commander will see you now, Mr. Perkins. Thanks, Commander. Good morning, Commander. Well, sit down, Perkins. Thank you, sir. So you want to be assigned to duty at Saturn Com Relay 4, huh? That's right. You know who's in charge there? Sure, Jim Colmar. Best space phone engineer in the solar system. I won't argue with you there. But you had a serious dispute with him about four years ago. He had you court-martial. I had it coming. I've learned a lot since then, Commander. There won't be any more trouble. You'll be notified of my decision. Thank you, sir. Believe me, I want this assignment more than I've wanted anything before in my life. Well, goodbye, sir. I'll uh, wait until I hear from you. Commander. Yes, Riley. May I see you a minute, sir? Certainly. I've been getting more complaints about Saturn Com Relay 4. Well, what is it now? Saturn and Neptune channels are weak, but Comar is feeding a wild beam out into space 40 degrees west of Pluto. He's sending gibberish where there aren't any planets or space lanes. He's probably groggy from lack of sleep. You've got to get him an assistant right away. He put in a request for a specific man. Came through the private channel about an hour ago. Oh, who does he want? Guy who just left here? Jack Perkins. Well, I'm either putting a lion and a tiger into a cage together, or I'm helping to restore a beautiful friendship. You mean you're going to okay Perkins' appointment? We need a man out there quickly. And I feel we should send a man of Homer's choice. Yes, sir. 
See that Jack Perkins gets in the next space to pull transport. Thanks for asking for me, Colmar. Strange, isn't it? Am I getting a hunch to apply for the assignment just at this time? No, it may not be as strange as you think, Jack. We'll get along fine, I'm sure of that. Sure we will. <laughs> there I was, wasting my time on Mars, when all of a sudden I thought of you. <laughs> uh, here's the control room. Wow. Say, you sure got this thing fixed up. Could you promote all this extra equipment? I'll tell you someday. For the time being, I'd just say this isn't standard for a com relay station of this size. I'll say not. Jim, you, you've got something in this room. Something strange, magnetic. Something behind the amplifier. I knew it. The crystal. Yes. You have one too, haven't you? Yes, I, I've got it with me, but... But yours is a much larger crystal. Where'd you get it? It crashed through the hull of a station a few weeks ago. For a time being, I was afraid my assistant would examine. I told him it was a meteorite, and he seemed satisfied. And this one fell at my feet when I was hiking across a plane on Mars. Mysterious, isn't it? Yeah. It, it even seems to be trying to tell me something. To tell me where it's from. From a world far away. Beyond the solar system. Zaldebren, perhaps? Yes, Zaldebren. What does it mean, then? It means we have been selected from all the people of the solar system to guide the invaders, the liberators from Zaldebren. I don't quite understand. You will. Probably millions of these crystals were fired out into space in all directions from Zaldebran. Just on the chance that one or two might come to rest on an inhabited planet. But, Jim, are the crystals alive? No, not in the usual sense, but they vibrate in sympathy with the life force of the men of Zaldebran. That's how they communicate with us, project the thoughts of these men. You've learned all this from the crystals? Yes, and we must keep these crystals a secret from everyone. Those are the orders. Yes, I know. All who have the crystal will be brought together, as we were. Only by working in secret can we guide our masters here. The conquerors from Zaldebran. Come, we got work. Commander. Oh, yes, Robbie? Something's got to be done about Com Relay 4. Isn't that mess straightened out yet? Oh, well, it's improved a little since Perkins arrived. But our message center is still four hours behind schedule and clearing communications to Pluto. Due to Com Relay 4, Major? Yeah. Pluto reports signal strength is weak from Relay Center. We've run the code tape through twice. Have Cormor or Perkins given any explanation? None that makes any sense. Well, I'll get some sense out of them. Robbie, beam all out-of-planet spacephone signals through Jupiter Com Relay 3. Right. Sir. Happy and I are blasting off for Com Relay 4 to find out what Perkins and Cormor are The crystals are gleaming brighter, Cormor. Yes. I'm using their pulsations to modulate the spacephone signal. Amazing. That a crystal can absorb the thoughts and feelings of a human being and then emit those vibrations to make us understand. Yes. If the crystals hadn't sensed that we were friendly, they probably would have remained cold lumps of mineral. They know their friends, these crystals. 
And they know their enemies. Look, their light is fading. The crystals are warning us. Quick, disconnect them from the modulator while I check the space for Right, Cole. Someone must be coming. And just when I felt that we were about to contact Zelda Brand. Look, they're on the view scope. A spaceship? Yes, a space patrol battle cruiser. Terrified. It's Commander Corey, and he's heading right for the station. Those messages. We should have diverted more power to the regular signals instead of pouring it all towards Zeldebrand. We may be suspicious. The crystal will protect us. We'll let Corey aboard the space station, if that's what he wants. But hold on to your crystal. Let it guide you. And whatever the crystal tells you... in the airlock. Hold your crystal firmly. And don't be afraid. We'll get out of this. I'm not afraid, Tom. Well, I hardly expected you back so soon, Commander. Hello, Coma. I'm surprised to see you looking so well. I feel much better since Tyler left and Perkins is here. Well, that's fine. But what about your relay transmitters? Pluto can barely pick you up. You've got a beam 40 degrees west of Pluto that nearly burned out our meters. Yeah, we tested it when we came in. I want an explanation, Coma. Very well. We are diverting the power of the space relay station to more important matters. What's more important than your duty relaying official messages? I'm afraid you'll never know. Come with me, Commander. You're a little confused, aren't you? You take orders from me, remember? I said come with me. Follow me. You must be space happy, Commander. And what are those little bottles they're holding? Homer. Perkins. What's in those bottles? They are crystals. Crystals from another universe. Now come. Come, Commander. Commander. Funny is happening. I can't take my eyes off those crystals. Follow me into the generator room. Happy. Try to look away. They've got our reactions controlled somehow. The crystals are getting brighter. That's about all I can see. Walk up to the generator. Touch the connections. Then you will know what we are doing with all the power. Happy, don't touch it. I, I can't hold back. Reach out your hand. It is not I, but our masters of Zaldebran who command you. Reach out your hand. Take the power connections in your hand. We'll be back with Space Patrol in just a moment. But first... This is Commander Corey and Captain Dick Tufel reminding you that pulling up to your breakfast table is like pulling up to a filling station. Give them our example, Dick. Right. A jet cycle has just pulled into a filling station to get its tank filled. The man has it filled with ordinary fuel. Listen. Not much go in that jet cycle, is there? But now listen to that same jet cycle filled with super fuel. Man, that cycle's roaring like a rocket now because it's supercharged with super fuel. Same thing is true of you, gang. To get going in the morning, you need super fuel, too. So get supercharged the way Buzz Corey and all us space patrollers do. Eat a power breakfast with Instant Ralston, the hot super cereal made of rich whole wheat. Instant Ralston helps you to think fast. And act fast. So remember, gang, when you pull up to your breakfast table, it's just like pulling up to a filling station. You're there for fuel. Super fuel, so you can get supercharged. Uh, take a tip. Eat a power breakfast with instant Ralston and get supercharged. Get it today in the red and white checkerboard package. Good hot Ralston. And now, back to our Space Patrol adventure, 
the seed crystals of Zaldebaran. Two mysterious crystals have found their way into the solar system from outer space. One crashed through the hull of a communications relay station in the Saturn orbit. The other landed on a Martian plane. Discovered millions of miles apart by two men who once were enemies, the crystals have brought the two men together in the space station, united in a weird project. Buzz and Happy, investigating failure of the relay station to operate properly, are under the strange power of the crystals. And the two space patrolmen seem powerless to resist their orders. One more step, cadet. Fight it up, Happy. I'm trying, sir. Follow the crystals. Reach out your hand and feel the surge of power you never felt before. You can leave this universe in a blinding blue-green flash of glory. Another inch, cadet. No, Happy. No! My crystal! And there's yours, Perkins. Now get away from the generator, Happy, quickly. All right, Commander. Get your hands out. Don't reach for your ray gun. Don't try anything, Cadet. Good work, Perkins. Watch him. Don't let him get up. Right. Hold on. Where did those pistols come from? From Zelda Brand. And they're the guiding force that will bring the United Planets conquerors here from the planets of our masters. Oh, my, you've been out in space too long. You almost had us touching those generators. But put up that gun. I'll see that you get medical attention, and I won't bring any charges against you. That's mighty big of you, Commander. What happened to the crystals? When the containers broke, the crystals faded. They're just like ordinary lumps of quartz. Corey, I ought to fix you good. Hold on, Patrick. Let's wait and see what the crystals say. They may have other organs. Lock Corey and the cadet in the empty compartment. We'll try to revive the crystal. Commander, how are we going to get out of here? Omar and Perkins are completely out of their minds. Yeah. Yes, Get your ear close to this ventilator. Listen to me. The other compartment, the other end of this bed. You see the crystals are giving off light again. Few hours, we can put them back in the modulator. This time, maybe we can get through the television. I think the beam is weakened by the cosmic rays from the sun. If we could take this relay station out beyond the paper orbit, oh, how can we do that? There is one other person in the solar system who has found one of the crystals. He has helped me already by bringing the equipment I needed. Who is he? A very wealthy man on Terra, Voltan Cephali. If he comes here with a powerful spaceship, we could take the accelerator relay station out beyond the Pluto orbit. Come away from the vent, Harry. This sounds crazy, but those crystals just might be a contact from some other system. Mm, at any rate, I've never seen crystals behaving like that before. Whether or not they're from another universe, they're dangerous in the hands of Colmar and Perkins. Have you got your miniature space phone? Yes, sir. Good. We'll try to reach Major Robertson and have him pick up Zoltan Cephalou. If Colmar tries to contact Cephalou, we'll at least have evidence. Crystals have revived enough to handle Corey and the cadet. And this time, we'll be more careful. Uh, unlock the door. Wait. That's right, Robbie. Hold Cephalou. We've got a peculiar crystal that gives out a violet light. Take that, too. Hurry up. they got a space phone in there. A, a miniature. Quickly. All right, Corey. We'll just take that little space phone. Space phone? What space phone? Come on, hand it over. You'll get a worse clout than you did before. Mm. All right. Here you are. I'll fix this little device. There. Now let's see you contact anybody. Soon we will be carrying out the will of our masters. 
the rulers of Zaldebrain. You really believe that stuff, don't you? If you were fortunate enough to sense the vibration of the crystals, you would believe it, too. Omar and I know things you'll never know. About a superior race of men. Far out among the stars. These crystals are seeds they have scattered throughout space. When they find fertile ground and receptive life, they bloom and glow. With our spaceophone equipment, we can transmit their pulsations back to Zaldabran. Then our masters will know they can come here to a new home. Commander, what do you think? It makes no difference what the commander thinks. He's going to help us. How? Huh? Oh. We've got to move the space station before someone investigates. The commander's ship is connected to our airlock. We'll have him move Tom Relay 4 to a better location. Now let's plug these two in here until we get our crystals. This time there must be no slip-up. What are we going to do, sir? I'm going to try to put us under the power of those crystals. If the crystals don't work, Omar and Perkins still have our weapons. But if they think we're under the spell of the crystals, we may be able to catch them off guard after we're in the ship. Now, don't look directly at the crystals. And keep your eyes partly closed. Yes, sir. And pretend to be resisting the... Command, follow the crystal into your ship. After me. That's it. Try to stall him, Happy. Hold back. I, I can't. My, my, my feet keep moving in spite of all I do. Come on. Don't fight it. It's no use. That's it. Now close the inner hatch. Take your usual position at the control panel. Quickly now. Now watch the crystals and listen. You will... Start this ship, gently at first, so as not to pull away from the relay station. Is that clear? Yes. <laughs> now go ahead. Your usual procedure. Just a minute, Commander. That's the space phone you just turned on. Major Roberts. Don't try to enter him. If I could only move my hand. Look at him. He's straining every muscle to turn on the microphone. Major Robertson to Commander Corey. I've tried to reach you for 20 minutes. Here's the message in case you can't acknowledge. Zoltan Cephalu has been captured. Oh. Cephalu had us completely in his power until I found the crystal. Then we grabbed Cephalu without any trouble. Repeat, Major Robertson... Turn that off! We've got to get away from here quickly. Corey, start the ship. Stand by to fire rockets. Half G acceleration. Standing by, sir. One half G. Fire rockets. holding to the ship? Seems to be, from what I can tell through the viewport. Corey, increase our velocity gradually. Do you understand? Yes, I understand. Set a course 40 degrees west of Pluto. 40 degrees west of Pluto? That's it. Uh, they're like automatons. Look at them. They're completely under the power of the crystals. It'll take us several hours to get beyond Pluto's orbit, but by then we should be able to send signals to Zaldebran. Then what about Corey and the cadet? Their usefulness will be over. We will dispose of them. How will we get back? Don't worry about that. There are supplies for weeks in the space station. We will calmly await the arrival of our masters from Zaldebran. Correct course. One and a half degrees west. One and a half degrees west. Three degrees high. Three degrees high. Happy, are you under control? Under control, Commander. 
get the word move quickly, Rushman. As steady as you go. Yes, sir. Now, get back to your control. Give me that crystal, Colmar. Let's go with that crystal, Perkin. I got one of them, Commander. Here's Colmar's. Hold it. All right, Colmar, stand back. I've got this ray gun on you. Corey, you fool. You've only temporarily broken the power of the pistol. Give them back. You know, that's an idea. We will give them back, but not to you. We'll fire those crystals out of the ship. That's the only way to break their control. Happy, quickly. Open the breach the cosmic torpedo gun. Breach opens it. Put them in and close it. All right, Happy. Fire the torpedo. towards Aldebaran, or wherever they came from. Hey, hey, I feel different now. I can move my hands easily. Homer, what happened? Commander Corey and the cadet shot the crystals out into space. Out where they'll never be found, at least by anybody in the solar system. Thank goodness. But that's wonderful. What are you so happy about, Colmar? I thought you wanted the crystals. They had some terrible power over me. Now it's broken. I'm free again. So am I. Commander, if you hadn't fought us, Colmar and I would have brought something horrible into the solar system. I don't know just what, but it wouldn't have been good. Map out space upon Robbie and give orders to blast that third crystal out of the solar system. Commander, Perkins and I are traitors, and we deserve whatever is coming to us. But I'm glad it's over. A brainograph test will show whether you were acting under the influence of the crystals or your own free will. Well, I'm glad it's over. I've got something to settle with you, Comar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to punch you in the jaw for getting me court-martialed four years ago. I'd like to see you try no, it. Hey, uh, wait. Break it up. Break it up. Now, let's not have any more of that. Hey, Commander, it was the crystals. See? See, with the crystals gone, they're enemies again. <laughs> <laughs> And so, once again, Commander Corey's quick thinking and daring have prevented a disaster in the United Planets. But even now, events are taking place that may mean more danger for Commander Corey. And now, an exciting preview of next week's Space Football Adventure. Buzz and Happy have landed on a small planetoid. At this moment, wearing their spacesuits, they're approaching the airlock of a prospector's cave where a criminal is believed to be hiding. Have your ray gun ready, Hap. I'll see if I can open the airlock. Right, Commander. Now, where did that come from? Someone's firing at us. That one came from the other direction. The airlock won't open. We have no protection. Whoever's controlling those weapons can just keep firing till they get us. Be sure to be with us next Saturday for the exciting story of Magic Space Pictures when Wheat Checks, Rice Checks, and Good Hot Ralston again bring you Space Patrol! High adventure in the wild, vast reaches of space. Missions of daring in the name of interplanetary justice. Travel into the future with Buzz Corey, Commander-in-Chief of the Space Patrol. Space Patrol, an original Mike Moser production starring Ed Kemmerer as Commander Corey and Lynn Osborne as Cadet Happy, was written by Lou Houston and directed by Larry Robertson. Other players were Baylor Kovach, Ken Mayer, and Norman Jolly. Dick Tufel speaking. Now, don't forget to tune in next Saturday and every Saturday when Wheat Checks, Rice Checks, and Good Hot Ralston again present the new exciting 
Space Patrol! And be sure to see another exciting Space Patrol story on your local ABC television station. Consult your local paper for time and channel. And now, a word to mothers about the salad of the year. Peach Coronation Salad. A brand new idea inspired by the crowning of England's lovely new queen. A salad that looks like a queen's crown studded with jewels. But the kind of a salad a man can go for. It's made with creamy cottage cheese and luscious canned cling peaches from California. Give your peach coronation salad that perfect touch. Serve with delicious rye crisp. Those toasty wafers with a hearty rye flavor. Boy, what a way rye crisp has of making other foods taste their best. Mm-mm. You will see the coronation salad featured in magazines and newspapers and in special displays at your grocers all during the month of March. And when you serve this colorful new salad, be sure to serve it with delicious rye crisp. For your figure's sake, make rye crisp your bread all the time. Only 21 calories in a double square. No waiting for the famous rye crisp producing plan when you buy rye crisp. It's printed right on the package. Remember, it's smart to make your bread rye crisp. Space Patrol comes to you transcribed from Hollywood. This is ABC Radio Network. Starting on March 4th, get ready to listen to the C.S. Lewis series, The Chronicles of Narnia in a seven-episode special. Now back to the old-time radio show. You miserable hobbit! Don't strike me, Tori! You undersized! Burglar! By the beard of Durin, I wish I had Gandalf here. I only just... Curse him for his choice of you. May his beard wither. Oh, 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 Durin, you're hurting me. Hurting only... you? I will kill you, you wretched creature. No, no, no. No, put me down. Down onto the rocks with you. Your wish is granted, Turin. Stay your hands, unafraid. Turin, the old man holding the Arkenstone. It is Gandalf. If you don't like my burglar, please don't damage him. Just put him down. Very well. Down to your friends, you descendant of rats, before I change my mind and hurl you down. Oh, yes, of course. Good goodbye. Doreen, we will give you until tomorrow. At noon, we will return and see if you have brought from the horde the portion that is to be set against the stone. If that is done without deceit, then we will depart and the elf host will go back to the forest. Meanwhile, farewell! Toreen, are you going to give in to them? Give in? <laughs> Don't be a fool. Send for Roak. Bid him take word to my cousin Dane to come with his dwarves at the greatest speed possible. Your Majesty. What is it, Bilbo? An army of dwarves is approaching. Thank you, Bilbo. My Lord King, it is surely Dane and his dwarves. 
They must have marched double-faced through the night. Warned by Doreen somehow, I do not doubt. Yes, as I thought. The inn approaches. Let the mighty dwarf pass. Hail! I am Bard of the Lakemen. This is the king of the Wood Elves. Hail, Bard. Hail, Elven King. I and my dwarves are hasting to our kinsmen in the mountain, since we learn that the kingdom of old is renewed. But why do you sit as foes before defended walls? We are waiting till noon for your cousin Torin to fulfill his bargain. Bargain? One twelfth of the dragon's treasure in exchange for the Arkenstone. The Ark? You have the Arkenstone? We do. Show him, Gandalf. There. of the mountain. You dare to bargain with the sacred stone? To avoid battle, I do so bargain. I ask for passage for my dwarves through your army. The way to the mountain is blocked. You and your dwarves must stay where you are until midday. We shall see. Come, dwarves! Yeah, he's very angry. The treasure will be claiming more lives today. Do you think he means to fight us? He is even now giving the signal for the dwarves to attack. Men and elves, to your posts! Dwarves, to the attack! into the council at once with Bard and the Elven King. We must join forces against the evil denizens of the North. Upon victory depends not just the treasure, nor only our lives, but the whole future and well-being of Middle-earth. Down the barricades. Show me! Show me! 
tarried here long enough. Now my sword glamdering must cleave goblins once again. Oh no, don't, don't go, Gandalf. Don't leave me. Wear the magic ring, Bilbo. But keep well out of the way. The ring may make you invisible, but it won't save you from a chance arrow or a flying spear. Farewell until we meet again. Don't, don't, don't go. Keep back. Keep back, I say. Gandalf will be slain. They'll all be slain. They must be. The eagles. The eagles are coming. The eagles are tearing the goblins to bits. There's still not enough of them. What's that? It's Bjorn. Bjorn has come. Now there's a chance. The goblins... Baggins, B A W. It is well that I found you. Are you much hurt? But I have a nasty knock on the head, I think. I will carry you down to the camp in the valley. Oh, that's very kind of you. You are needed. The day is won, but Keeley and Feely are dead, and Torin oh. is grievously wounded. Torin? He asked for you. Come on. Thank you. sit beside my father's until the world is renewed. Oh, no, no, no. Since I now leave all my gold and silver and go where it is of little worth, I wish to part in friendship from you, and I would take back my words and deeds at the gate. Oh, no. Um, farewell, King Under the Mountain. This is a bitter adventure if it must end so. And not a, not a mountain in gold can amend it. Yet I'm glad that I shared in your perils. That's been more than any Baggins deserves. No. No. There is more in you of good. Than you know, child of the kindly West. Some courage and wisdom blended in measure. If more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world. But sad or merry, I must leave it now. Farewell. Thank you, Torrid. 
Oh, well. your sword or Christ. Never was it wielded by a mightier hand. As I assume my cousin's throne, I now assume his obligations. Torin has his Arkenstone, and I will honor the agreement of the dead. One fourteenth of the treasure shall be given to Bard of the Lake Men. To you, King of the Elves, I give the Emeralds of Gyrion. And as for you, Bilbo Baggins, hmm? although you have laid aside your claim, we would give you something. Oh, oh no, no, really, I, I couldn't. I insist. You I would reward most richly of all. Oh, yes, but I... Uh, well, uh, well I, I, I suppose perhaps just... Just two chests, uh, one of silver and one of gold. <laughs> That's uh, as much as I can manage. Come, Bilbo, all is ready. Farewell, Barlin. Farewell, Bilbo. And, and farewell, Dwarlin. And, and farewell to, to you all. May your beards never grow thin. Farewell, Torin Oakenshield. And Keely and Feely. Goodbye, Bilbo. And good luck wherever you journey. Thank you. If you visit us again when our halls are made fair once more, then the feast shall indeed be splendid. Ah, <laughs> thank you, Balin. And, and if ever you're passing my way, don't wait to knock. Tea is at four, you know. But, but any of you are welcome at any time. <laughs> farewell. Farewell. The elf host was on the march back to Mirkwood. Bilbo and Gandalf rode behind the elven king, and beside them strode Beor, once again in man's shape. And he laughed and sang in a loud voice throughout the journey. At length, they drew near to the borders of the forest, where the river flowed out. No further, Mr. Baggins, I think. No. Whoa. Farewell, O oh Elden King. Merry be the greenwood while the world is yet young, and merry be all your folk. Farewell, O oh Gandalf. Farewell, beyond my old friend. We see each other too late. Maybe we do. The cares of our domains keep us apart. You must visit me in the spring. <laughs> With joy. The misty mountains contain precious few goblins to worry my animals now. Farewell. Farewell, Beyond. Farewell. Farewell, Gandalf. Farewell, Elven King. Farewell, Beautiful. Oh, farewell. <laughs> farewell, Goodwood Elves. Farewell. Farewell, Bilbo. Yes, yes, coming. Farewell. Goodbye.
by midwinter, Gandalf and Bilbo had come all the way back along the edges of the forest to Bjorn's house, where they stayed for Yuletide and indeed for many weeks after. It was an early spring morning and a fair one with a bright sun when they finally took their leave of the ancient and strange creature. Yes, and with regret, I might add, for though I longed for home, Bjorn's house had been so warm and merry and safe. It was on May the 1st that the two came at last to the brink of the valley of Rivendell. The high elves came out to greet them and led them across the water to the house of Elrond. the Grey. And welcome, Bilbo Baggins. Yourself. The burglar, I believe. Oh, uh, yes, uh, thank you, Elrond. There are many eager ears waiting to hear of your adventures. Ah, well, but first, I... I have news for you. The necromancer has at last been driven from his hold in the south of Mirkwood. Necromancer? By the wizards and masters of law. The same. You knew of this? Well, let us say I had a hand in the happenings in the south. Ere long now, the forest will grow somewhat more wholesome. The north will also be free from horror for many long years, I hope. Yet I wish the necromancer were banished from the world altogether. Oh, the it would be well indeed. But I fear that will not come about in this age of the world. Or for many after. Now for your tale. Yes, and no, miss no. nothing no. out in the telling, my No, no, no. Well, you well, see, uh, 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 um, well oh. it all began nearly a year ago when I called on Mr. Baggins yes. here. Yes. One tea time with 13 dwarves led by yes. Torin Oakenshield. Yes. I may say that the Hobbit wasn't at all pleased to see us. Well, I mean, we were, you they just you weren't, you weren't. Yet more tales, 
tales of long ago, and tales of new things, and tales of no time at all. Till at length, Bilbo's head fell forward on his chest, and he snored comfortably in a corner. fell from me in that place, and I had many a merry jest and dance early and late with the high elves of the valley. Yet even Elrond's house could not long delay me now, and I thought always of my own home. After a week, therefore, Bilbo said goodbye to Elrond, and rode away with Gandalf, the elves' songs and light voices following them on the morning breeze. story. The day came at last when the travellers were in sight of the country where Bilbo had been born and bred, where the shapes of the land and of the trees were as well known to him as his hands and toes. Coming to a rise, he could see his own hill in the distance. He stopped suddenly. Roads go ever, ever on. Under cloud and under star. Yet feet that wandering have gone turn at last to home afar. Eyes that fire and sword have seen and horror in the halls of stone. Look at last on meadows green and trees and hills long have known. My dear Bilbo, you are not the hobbit you were. Ah. <laughs> no. <clears throat> no. No, no, <laughs> no. No, no, no. Come on, come on. Come on, Gandalf. Come on. some years afterwards, Bilbo was sitting in his study, writing his memoirs. He had just oh. settled on the choice of a title. Uh, no, I call it, um, uh, The Hobbit. No, it's a bit bored. Uh, um, ah! There, and back again, a Hobbit's holiday. <laughs> holiday? <laughs> What a holiday. <laughs> no? Oh, I wonder who that can be. Oh, good gracious me. Oh dear, I'll be careful I wonder if I ought to put my ring on. Oh! 
Oh, Gandalf. Oh, good to see you. Come on in. Come on. Thank you, Bilbo. I, I've brought an old friend to see you. A friend? An old friend? Hello, Mr. Baggins. Barlin, eh? Well, well, my dear Barlin. <laughs> come on, come on, both of you. Come yes. in. Come on. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, hang your coat up. Hang my coat up. I know where. Yes, you know, and you know too. Yes. No, hang your coat up. Come on. I'll straight down here. You remember? <laughs> you know where to go. Very yeah. well. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, well, well. What? You look, look here. Um, here, by the fire. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's it. Sit yourselves down. Go on. Just speak up. Uh, make yourselves comfortable. Thank you. The kettle uh, won't be long, and we'll all have a nice cup of tea. <laughs> and a slice of seed cake, eh? <laughs> oh, um, fill your pipes, gentlemen. Thank you, Bilbo. You are quite well. Hmm? Your waistcoat is a little more expensive. What? Oh, <laughs> yes, I'm afraid so. Yes, well, your beard is several inches longer, isn't it? Yes. Now, tell me, how are, how are things going in the land of the mountain? I, I think of you all... So often. I am happy to say that things are going very well. Good, good. The lake men have rebuilt Dale, mm -hmm. the valley is rich and fertile, and the desolation is now filled with birds and blossom in spring and feasting in autumn. Ah. Much wealth goes up and down the running river and the lake, mm -hmm. and there is the greatest of friendship between men and dwarves and the wood elves. Ah, wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. Uh, I'm so glad. But uh, what a bard. How's he? Hmm? Bard is the new master of the lake men. Gee. And very popular. For, of course, he gets most of the credit for the present prosperity. Oh. <laughs> they are making songs which say that in his day the rivers run with gold. Well, Ed, the prophecies of the old songs have turned out to be true. I mean, you know, after a fashion. But of course. And why should they not prove true? Well, I mean, you just, don't really suppose, do you, that all your adventures and escapes were managed by mere luck? Just for your sole benefit. No, 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 but I mean... You're a very fine person, Mr. Baggins, and I am very fond of you. <laughs> but you are only a little fellow in a wide world, after all. <laughs> Thank goodness, eh? <laughs> <laughs> ah, there's the kettle. Come along, I'll make them you. Come down, Phil, though, appears. Writing. Writing what? Yes. Cheat on the left. Pop it to the right. Well, he would never get the publisher. And Bilbo took to writing poetry and visiting the high elves. And though many shook their heads and said, poor old Baggins, and though few believed any of his tales, he remained very happy to the end of his days. And these were extraordinarily long. Christian sci-fi with adventure, drama, and a touch of romance, read Quantum Spacewalker, Anira's assignment. Anira Henderson was used to dealing with every kind of trauma in her job as an emergency room tech. 
Then, the disaster that wiped out her family, except for her brother Jarl, landed tragedy squarely on her own lap. In the midst of her grief, she is recruited to join an elite force of universe healers. Fixing radically broken things has always been her life's dream. But, this just took it to a whole new level. Read Quantum Spacewalker, a Nira's assignment by Grace S. Gross. You have been listening to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast.